Yo, listen up. I've got an incredible event coming up in Bandera, Texas, October 12th through 13th, 2023 at Sovereignty Ranch. It's called Confluence, and it takes place during the Ring of Fire eclipse. This eclipse carries the frequency of love, harmony, connection, and balance. And let me tell you, when we all join together in community under this eclipse, we create the foundation for a massive shift. So come hang out. I'll be live podcasting with some other amazing speakers and friends like Kelly Brogan, Andrew Kaufman, Mickey Willis, Alex Zek, Amanda Vollmer, and Shiva Rose, amongst many others. So come get down with us as we shatter the illusion of authority, learn the true energetics of regenerative food, harness the healing power of holistic remedies, foundational skills, and of course, high vibes. Get your tickets and more info at confluence2023.com. And use the code STORY10 for 10% off the entry fee. And this discount is for tickets only, so it excludes glamping, camping, food packages, and so on. Again, that's confluence2023.com. And again, the date is Thursday, October 12th through Sunday, October 15th. I'll see you there. Okay, so close your eyes. Become aware of your breath. Become aware of your heart beating. And I'm so grateful to come together with you today. And may anything that we share, speak, express, may it be transformative for you and for me, for everyone listening. May we create a massive ripple effect and may the listeners find exactly what they were looking for. Thank you. I like that. You want a job? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to have you do that at the beginning of every show. Because people come over and, you know, oh, you want something to drink? There's the bathroom, you know, getting the mic set up and all the things. And if they have some products with them making sure that's around doing all the thing and then i often just like rush into the conversations without dropping in so that's a good reminder you know to be super cool katie what is if you pick uh an essence mist Mm. out of allison's massive collection here of lotus way and give us a good dousing divine truth Perfect. I'm here for it. Healer, heal yourself. Thank you. Wow, you apply it liberally. <laughs> I'm always like <laughs> two or three sprays. I want to <laughs> try to conserve it. It's funny. But we do. We have these things all over the house. Thanks to you guys. Thank you so much. I don't know what you have worked out with Allison, but there is no shortage of Lotus Way products in the house. So I have some in my office which I just kind of intuitively picked. I have one in my medicine cabinet, so when I brush my teeth and stuff in the morning, I give myself a couple of hits with that. Some in the nightstand next to the bed. So that's one thing I want to ask you, and we can get into it later, is like which ones are good for sleep? Because I just grabbed one I liked the scent of. But I'm guessing you probably have one that would be good. Uh, you know, like some people, well, I've done in the past with lavender, right? I'll spray my pillow and kind of spray myself, but I bet you have something way cooler. First thing I want to ask you is this. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life 
and your work that you'd like to share with us? Oh, uh, my root teacher would be the first one. Um, my main teacher. What do you want me to say? Do you want me to? Their name? Oh, Karma Sange Raptan. Is that someone we could find online and put in the show notes? Never. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the best ones are like that. Do they have social media? Like, no, they live in a cave in the Amalias. You will never find them. <laughs> totally incognito. Yeah, you'd never know them. Uh, the 17th Karma Ba. That one you can find online. Mm. And Pedro Lopez Clemente. You might be able to find his name somewhere online. Excellent. And for those listening, speaking of show notes, what are we calling those today? Uh, it's going to be lukestory.com slash flowers. Apropos enough. So how did you get started in flower essences, working with these plants? You're the only person I've ever met that is this deeply steeped into this particular niche practice? Mm -hmm. So I graduated college and I saw the people around me like getting into all these deep commitments and then kind of not really sure that what they were doing was what they wanted to be doing. So I took some time and I traveled around a lot. Um, I was in Europe for a couple of years, in Asia, in Mexico, and I ended up meeting a teacher from Spain who was an expert in flower essences. That's the Pedro López Clemente. Oh, cool. And I, at the time, I was studying as many forms of natural medicine that I could get my hands on because I felt like there was a key in there to helping people dissolve self-limiting patterns. You know, because I think if you, if you ask any human being, you know, if you could be like in a room full of a million people and say, I want one person here to raise your hand if you have maxed out on your potential. Like, you're as fearless as you'll ever get loving, kind, gentle, wild, bold, successful, you name it, as you'll ever get. Like, you've topped out. You've maxed out. Nobody ever says yes. Nobody ever says that's me, right? Because innately, as a human, we just know. Like, how do we know that? I'm not sure, but we know that there's more we can expand into, evolutionary-wise. Uh, so I was looking. Where can I find this thing that can help ramp up and accelerate people's transformation? I stumbled onto this. Actually, it was a crazy story of how I found him. I was walking down a cobblestone street, and it was empty. It was a holiday. There was no one on the streets, and this really sweet Otomi indigenous woman came up, and she handed me a flyer. And so I grabbed the flyer, and I said, flower essences. So this is really interesting. Usually it's stuff you're not interested in, right? So I turned around to ask her some questions, and it was like she vanished. So I started running up and down all the different cobblestone streets looking for this woman, and I couldn't find her. So I thought, well, that was really weird. I'm the only one out here. Like, what is she doing out here? So I took it as a sign. I went to Mexico City. Um, I met this teacher from Spain, and he taught me two main things. One was that every flower on the planet has a very specific healing benefit for us. It will accelerate or harmonize or amp up certain qualities within us. And that the power of the ripple effect is such that if only 3% of the world's population is actively working with these flower remedies, it has enough power to change the outcome of the future in a really positive way. 
And I was like, I'm in. You know, I mean, I think so many of us want to benefit in some way. And when we think of all the problems in the world, it's like, God, what could, what could I do to make a dent in that? But 3%? Sure. I could devote the rest of my life to 3%. So that's what I did. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. And that it's very similar to my worldview because we seem to have signed up for this polarized duality of experience, right? So if the world was a utopia and there was no evil, no darkness, no sadness, suffering, etc., there wouldn't really be anywhere to go. <laughs> There'd be nothing to learn, right? So this is something I'm always trying to reconcile when I see the existence of, I mean, for lack of a better term, say evil in the world, which I don't even think, I don't think evil actually exists. I think they're just degrees of love, right? And so you could say my version of evil is a lack of love. So we have the power of love on one side, and then we have a gradient of lesser expressions of love, and we perceive those to be dark or evil, right? But love is exponentially more powerful than any position below it that has less of it. You see what I'm saying? So your 3% or your teacher's 3% makes perfect sense to me because there's a counterweight, right, of the higher, the higher expression of love is so much more powerful than the lower expressions that have less of it, right? So it's not even that, like, those of us that want to see more love and harmony in the world have to fight the darkness. We just have to amplify the love. And there's a tipping point, it seems, uh, that occurs when a certain percentage, maybe it is 3% of the population, become more embodied in their love and expressive of their love. And I think that's the thing that holds this mess together, right? Right. Because it seems like right now in the world, everything is just spinning out of control, yeah. especially over the past three years. I mean, we're just all of the lack of love energies, right, are coming to the surface <laughs> and exposing themselves. And it's just, it's just insane. And that can be really dark if you're a doom scroller like me. And, you know, I go on my own Telegram channel, lukestory.com slash Telegram, uh, and post things. And I'm like, God, this is so negative, you know. <laughs> but it's... It's not that like things have become more negative. It's just that I think because of the internet and social media and independent media creators like myself and many others, it's just the things that have been kind of lurking in the shadows are now becoming more apparent to more people. So it's a net positive. Mm -hmm. For sure. But it's, it's a good reminder um, that, you, that you shared. Yeah, the and 3%. I don't think what you're talking about is negative, if it's truth. Because truth is truth, truth is truth, Right. Right. I guess I perceive some of it to be negative because it elicits emotions of fear or anger and it's more the reaction to it, right? Because anything going on in reality is truly objective until we assign some meaning to it. So if I look at, you know, them, what's the thing I was reading this morning? Um, Bill Gates wants to, or probably is, um, you know, injecting animal products with mRNA <laughs> vaccines that go into our system when we eat that meat. You know, it's just like, oh my God. So to me, that's negative because I create thoughts around that. Like, 
I almost texted Allison like, okay, we can't eat out ever again. We have to only get food from our local farmer or we're going to be dead. <laughs> so it's like, it's the information is actually neutral. You know, it's just the meaning that I assign to it makes me perceive it as negative. There is a lot of crazy stuff happening right yeah. now. How do you, anytime I've spent time with you, which is a few times, half a dozen times maybe, maybe if that, um, you seem to be extremely grounded peaceful, happy, at ease. You're someone uh, that I think has figured some of this out. And I don't know, you know, you that intimately personally, if you're going through divorces and crazy shit in your company, firing people, you know, I don't know if there's drama in your life, but like the way you present yourself seems to be really happy, peaceful, and, and grounded. So what do you do? I mean, we're going to talk about, obviously, the power of flower essences and stuff, but what do you do to keep your head together, to keep yourself strong and resilient and objective about reality? I mean, everybody has drama. I for sure have drama. Just the other day, I was telling someone, man, I do like three hours of meditation practice a day now. I take a ton of flower essences I live and work in a community of people who are devoted to expanding in their, their highest potential. So, so we understand when somebody is triggered or has a you know weak point or what do and I still a shit show sometimes, you know, like I still lose my Me cool. too. <laughs> you know, I, I think what is if I'm this way, what is anybody who doesn't have any one of the factors that I'm lucky enough to have or practice or do or have access to, how are they even surviving out there, right? Because sometimes it just feels like you're hanging on with your fingernails. And, I mean, those are, those are the three things I would say are the most powerful for me. The flower essences work. I, I don't know that I could be sane without them. They, they, they accelerate personal growth. So what I've seen over the last 20-some years is like the regular amount of personal growth you would go through in six months. You're trucking along in your life. If you're using them regularly, it squishes it down to like one or two months. So it just seems like you process things more easily. You file things out. What doesn't work for you, you toss it. You don't get as stuck in things, right? You just move through a lot more easily and quickly. Mm, sometimes easily. Sometimes it's hard, right? Meditation, obviously, is, is such a powerful tool. And then being surrounded by people who are in alignment with you and value the same things and are working on themselves and can make space for you to freak out and be human. I would say those are the, the top three movers, shakers. But even so, I mean, I always say a company can only be as good or an organization can only be as good as the person who leads it. So I... It's like I'm under contract to face every glitch and challenge and weakness I have inside of me because the strength of the flower essences that we put out there, the cohesion of the people working in my business is dependent on me doing my work. If I slack, then that will trickle down through the whole thing. Totally. Yeah. The responsibility of leadership is is no joke, right? Because the culture of 
I mean, speaking of business, the culture of your company really is dependent on you. And I've learned, I've learned that the hard way many times. And it's probably one of the reasons that I keep a really tight team and I don't really try to scale and grow because I just don't want that responsibility. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it, but the biggest for me is always the people, right? I had a company before and um, I was a little less enlightened and uh, probably a lot less and I would show up, and it was a time in my life where um, I was much uh, less aware of complaining, right? Of just the, the egoic tendency to make things in, in your experience wrong so that you elevate yourself into being right, that kind of thing. Complaining about, oh, I can't believe it's raining today. I can't believe this, the web guy sucks so bad. When in, you know, just whatever, complain about anything. Right. And I still complain a little bit, but I really do my best to monitor that. And I observed over time, and uh, my partner at the time was maybe even more kind of negative than I, and we're the two leaders of the company, and um, I noticed that it caught like a cold, man. It's like I started coming into work and everyone's just making fun of people and complaining about people, and it got super toxic. And because I had some self-awareness, I was like, oh, you guys all need to change. <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, I'm actually modeling at least some of this behavior and this attitude that everything sucks, everyone sucks, no one can do anything right, you know. And it was, it was a huge wake-up call because then I started finding myself on the receiving end of that, you know, and started kind of losing the respect of the people that were working for me because I had fostered that culture, you know. So I just left didn't change no, i'm just kidding <laughs> but no how many how many uh people do you have on your team oh, we're about 15 now really damn you guys are like a real company i'm, I'm most excited Crazy. about we we are in the process of registering in india right now so we we're building ground up um sonica is our director of everything there and if you would have asked me even a couple of years ago you know where's the next place you'll find yourself i would have never guessed india but it's like, uh, you know, it feels like home to me. And I'm, I couldn't be more excited. That's cool. Let's take a moment to explore one of the coolest innovations I've come across in my endless search for ways to improve our quality of life and vitality. It's a quantum energy streaming service called Quantum Upgrade. Through years of research and innovation, they've created one of the world's most accessible forms of quantum energy. And when you subscribe to their service, Quantum Upgrade transmits this energy into your home, car, or even onto your phone. Let's face it, many of us are stuck in patterns we repeat daily. We get up, we get dressed, we go to work. And this routine takes a lot of energy and at times leaves little room for personal growth. Well, it's widely known that quantum energy supports change and transformation. Your life can change dramatically when you access the quantum energy surrounding us. I personally love this service and often use its boosting feature at specific times when I need extra support with my mood and energy. Now, as far out as the realm of quantum energy is, rest assured that Quantum Upgrade has been tested and studied by independent institutes, doctors, and labs with phenomenal results in placebo-controlled double-blind studies, which can be easily viewed right on their website. So do yourself a favor and try this service out for free for 15 days. Just hop over to quantumupgrade.io and enter the code LUKE15 to activate your free trial. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io. Yeah, that's 
cool. I've always had a connection to India. I've only been once. I went for you know a month or so many years ago. Yeah, but I always, um, I don't know, Indian culture, music, food, the smells. There's an ancient relationship there. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about um, your flower lounge events. And I don't know if this is something that is ongoing or was periodic, but the last time you were here, Alice and I came to your event. And I remember telling her, I was like, this is the only kind of event I can go to, by the way, from now on. Because, like, your team is so zen. And the, the ambiance and the feel, the chanting, the, the, I don't want to call them lectures, but presentations, like, everything is, like, super mellow. And that's, that's what, what I like. I don't like, I'm, not, I'm like the antithesis of Burning Man. You know what I mean? Like, well, a few people, everyone's pretty quiet and well-behaved. There's no real loud music. There's a lot of <laughs> meditating, chanting. That's my shit. And in Austin, we, you know, it's not, that's not that popular here in the circles in which I run. You know, it's like a little more vibes here. I'm older too. You know, I was looking, actually, I was telling you, I don't look in the mirror a lot today. I was shaving to look presentable. I was like, damn, bro, you got a lot of gray hair. I'm like turning into an elder, you know? And I was like, oh shit. But that's part of it, right? When I was younger, I mean, I was all about all the parties, but um, your event was just so grounded, kind of like how you started us off today, you know, just like a lot of devotion and stillness and presence and I just thrive in that kind of environment so I want to learn about that and then also you invited us to kind of a salon you were doing at a a home here and uh, Alice and I came over and got two I don't even know what they were called but two flower essence treatments and maybe you can elaborate on what that was Uh, I remember being bathed in in flowers and getting some acupuncture and maybe some body work to be honest like i went in such a deep theta like drooling (laughs) beautiful state i don't even know what happened i just know i didn't want it to end and when it did i was like oh what how long has it been you know time elapsed quickly it just it was in such a beautiful place and then we went outside for the flower baths and it was just lovely the whole thing like both events um so tell us a little bit about how you work, how often that happens, what was involved in all of that. Mm. So we do a flower lounge tour typically once a year, and we'll hit a string of cities. It was our first time in Austin. Austin is is like my favorite place to be. Really? Yes. Cool. I love people here and the place and the earth beings and everything in Austin. I just, I'm in love. Um, but the, this, this, the, that particular tour was about, we called it Ripple the Void. So we, we really wanted to create a ripple, and um, we brought out some of the practices that we've been doing for some of us for decades. But we, you know, like the chanting practices, for example, we, we usually keep those kind of separate from business. But it felt like a good timing to bring it out into the open and let people experience what our some of the things that we do on a regular basis to, you know, to clear energy and invite in auspicious good health and, um, and synchronicity. So, um, and it was also a really nice way to educate people about what our flower essence is because we've done, I think we've been in 21 different cities uh, with flower lounge events before. 
but we never, I never, I just kind of created a beautiful experience for people, you know, like have a flower, edible flower food, and we'll put some stuff in there and you'll feel good, but we're not really going to tell you what it is. Because I feel like maybe people weren't totally ready, you know, it was kind of woo. Now I feel like people are ready. They want to know, like, what is this stuff? Flowers have energy? How? And how does it work? And what's the science behind it? And why is this so important right now? Why is this going to be like one of the most important wellness modalities going forward? So it was an opportunity for me to start saying some of the things that I've been holding tucked since like the early 2000s. Wow. About, you know, like, God, my flower essence teacher would talk about, you know, cellular memory and that in each one of our cells, we hold all the information and DNA and emotional experiences from our family lineage up to six to eight generations back. And, you know, we kind of know that because what is it like when you hit 35 years old, you start saying things and you're like, oh, that's what my mom would say or I sound like my dad. It comes out, you know. But we don't realize that our thoughts, some of our thoughts belong to our family lineage. We think they're unique and different and just us in our own little heads here. But it might be the same thing that a great-grandmother thought or a great-grandfather was going through. So that's one of the, the areas of, of things that we can actually address is how do we turn down the volume on things that aren't really us and turn up the volume on what our absolute true nature is free of that lineage influence, right? Or people that we've been sexually intimate with in the last seven years also impact or who we spend our time with. All of those things affect the emotional sphere, mental landscape, spiritual, energetic field that we exist and, and, and impact how we see reality, right? So the name of the game, I think, is really to... Like, what are those things that will elicit who we truly are in our strengths and our power and our unique qualities and what turns down the volume on noise? <laughs> the big volume knob. When you and your... Allison and I have talked about your squad. I forget if we have... It's like the Lotus Way squad, but you have such a unique group of people, you know, just interesting creatures. <laughs> You know, just diverse and interesting, yet unified in an energetic. That is what I described earlier, just like super grounded and chill. I mean, you can tell the people that you roll with have done a lot of meditating. These aren't people that like learned to meditate on TikTok two months ago because it was the hot trend. You know, it's like these are people grounded in a devotional practice. And, um, I've not ventured into the realm of Buddhism much. It's never been my lane. Like, I kind of get it, resonates, but it's never been like, oh, yeah, this is the thing. Was any of the stuff you guys were into kind of rooted in Buddhism? What's the, what's the lineage of how you guys are rolling? Or is it just disparate and random and everyone's doing their own thing? Because you're all chanting chants that sound very ancient. Like, where did those come from? What books are y'all reading? What, what's the lineage of teachings that, that you guys are most rooted in? Yeah, the chants for Sanskrit or Tibetan. And not all of the company is practicing, but a good majority of the of folks are. And the community I live in, um, we're doing practice together every day or separately every day as a commitment. 
Mm, like one of my roommates, Lisa, she, she, um, her passion is chocolate. She started making the, the dark chocolate. Is she the one that made the chocolates at the yeah. Oh my God. Dude, I, Allison is embarrassed because I kept like going back and taking more. <laughs> She's like, dude, I'm always that guy. And I was like, what? There's plenty left. So they passed out a certain amount of them. And I think the bowl was in the back of the room and I'm like eyeing it, you know? So good. So freaking good. So as, just as an example, like, uh, you might not know it. It's just like really yummy dark chocolate, right? You want more. What is that? But she spent a good 10-plus uh, years living in Asia. She studied with some of the best masters in, in Tibetan Buddhism. She spent time meditating in a cave in the Himalayas, like real old school. Um, and then, you know, there are other folks in the community who who studied, uh, Allison studied, um, painting, like painting Buddhas, like the perfect symmetry and how to mix your own mineral inks. And um, so there's people with like, you know, in the community with really far back old school ties. And then there are newer ones who are just like jumping into the, into the practice. We do practice a lot. I think that impacts the work that we're up to. And typically we keep it kind of separate just because I think people have misconceptions around Buddhism. You know, they think like, well, this is some kind of religious thing, or is my religion going to fit in with this experience? Um, but it's based on a path that, you know, uh, Sakyamuni one day realized, you know, that the, as much as the king was trying to, in India, was trying to keep him like really sequestered in the palace, like not let him see anybody getting old, not let him see anybody get sick, not let him see anybody suffering, give him anything he wanted because... When he was born, it was prophesied that he would become like an ascetic monk, right? And attain this incredible realization and this, um, you know, this kind of seer when he was born just like started weeping because he was like, I'm not going to be here when he attains enlightenment, but I can see that that's the future, right? And so this Indian prince, somehow he makes his way out of the, the palace and sees people who are getting old and sees people who are sick and sees people who are suffering and it just starts this like like rupture in his whole being and so he leaves and spends the rest of his life trying to figure out the nature the true nature of reality and what this existence is and why are we here and what is this impermanence thing and why do we get sick and why do we grow old what is this all about right and so that's who, you know, in terms of Buddhism, we refer to as like one of the original Buddhas. Buddha just meaning awakened one, enlightened one. And there have been thousands and thousands of human beings who have attained the similar or same state of awakening using a method, like a map from point A to point B. In Buddhism, we would say there's 84,000 different teachings because all of us are so so different and so unique and our trips and triggers and stuff are so interesting and complex that all of us need different types of teachings you know some are more intellectual some of us need to be like whacked with a ruler or you know pick up bricks some of us need to work with flowers some of us need to communicate um so the the teachings come from a long time ago you know from india they moved into tibet and all over asia and now they're in the west and so we're just working with some really ancient methods and practices. I wouldn't call it a religion. For me, it's more like a, a method, a practice, something that helps me face the 
craziness that arises in my own mind. You know, my mind is like a... You have one of those, too. Crazy horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's, the mind is really a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, it's such a beautiful supercomputer of consciousness, but it also does its own thing a lot. You know, I think I think about this sometimes, like the mind, the ego. <clears throat> oftentimes, as we get into spirituality, um, there's kind of a a vilifying, you know, more so with the ego, probably like, oh, well, ego's bad. I got to get rid of it. And the mind, you know, the chatter of the mind, the self-talking, the endless thoughts, and people try to meditate and stop that from happening. Good luck with that, by the way. <laughs> But it's like that it's something working against us and something that's helped me a lot in my own evolution is to have more realization that both of those kind of entities, if we could call them that, are actually working toward my self-preservation. Right? It's like they're doing a job. So I have a feeling and the ego causes this emotional thing where I feel kind of threatened. And then the supercomputer of the mind jumps in and is like, oh, here's how you can manipulate this situation to protect yourself. And, you know, all the games that they're playing, they're not going to stop, right? It's like, it's what, it's what they're wired to do. It's like trying to make your liver stop filtering toxins, right? It's doing what it does, but the pathology arises when, I think, when we, when we lose awareness of those energies and allow them to start controlling us without our agency. And then all of a sudden, you know, the crazy horse mind, I like that term, is telling me to think things and say things and then do things that are deleterious to my life and likely the lives of the people with whom I share the planet, right? So it's like you can't stop thoughts, you can't stop the impulses of the instincts or the ego, but you can really, you obviously have this experience yourself, develop a relationship with them where a different part of you, call it your soul or higher self, is in an observational perspective of that phenomena as it works its way through your persona and your life, right? So in the beginning of my sobriety, for example, there was a lot of talk about you have to smash the ego. You got to smash the ego. You got to kill the ego because that's the thing that gives you the denial and the grandiosity and all of that to carry on drinking and using. And so anytime I would see the ego arise in my behavior, it was like I would condemn myself for having having that happen, right? There's a, many, many years of coming to the understanding like, oh no, the ego's like a little pet, you know? It's like, it's like your little <laughs> yappy dog, right? And it's not going anywhere. So it's rather than trying to get rid of it or demonize it, for me, it's more about having a right relationship with it and and allowing it to be present and to do its job, but to know that my higher self or my consciousness supersedes that as long as I'm exerting some amount of effort in my practices to stay in that witness observer perspective and not get it flipped inversely so that I'm just like an automaton that's being controlled by mind and ego and going through my life like a bulldozer. Does that make sense to your way of practice? or 100%. And I think what some people don't know and what we continually forget is that the observation is the key because 
the observation is the dissolution. The observation is the dissolution. But I forget that all the time, right? I forget that if I just watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, sit with it, sit with it. Oh, this is really uncomfortable. I just want to like ah, scream or cry or sit with it, sit with it. And that the actual just watching it is enough. Because it's just like when, if like there's a child in the room, right? And we're just ignoring the child. And then suddenly all of us turn our gaze toward the child. The child changes their behavior because they can feel that, the gaze. So when you, you're, you're, whew, the self, the part of you, self is a bad word, but the part of you, the beingness, the knowingness, part of you, the true nature part of you that is so big that your logical mind can't even conceive it, turns the gaze toward the, the crazy, it shifts and changes. It already does the work. It's like the, the body going to heal itself. It, it's already going to heal itself. And we forget that. And it's kind of hard to sit with it, right? We, we, we want to like turn to things that are going to numb us out or, uh, or like express it or get really crazy. But if we can keep remembering, like you said, to make space and watch, and sometimes we need to uh, you know, I call it my inner bossy girl or the protector or the prison warden or the, um, oh, I had a teacher once who talked about the parts of him that are like attached to things like the Gollum character in, in Lord of the Rings, like, <laughs> yeah. very precious. Yeah, you know? totally. We have that. 100%. Just, just the last couple of months. Did you ever see the movie The Dark Crystal? I don't think so. It was in the early 80s. It was, it was like Muppets, puppets, the whole movie. And there was this character who, this woman who was like super wild hair unkempt with this ruby red dress. She lived in like a trash pit. She could even pop her eyeballs out. I mean, she was just wild, right? Um, really ugly. And over the last couple of months, I was like, that's me. Oh, my God. I feel like her. I'm like on a trash pit, right? So sometimes it's helpful to like, put a character to these parts of ourselves so that we don't do exactly what you were talking about because that's our instinct is like squash it. Well, that's unbecoming. I don't want to be that. That's not me. Like repress, right? But the more we can like soften and have a sense of humor and make compassion and space to just observe all these nutties, you know, nutcase characters in our psyche, the more they can then like transform. I used to tell my clients, let everybody sit at the dinner table. Let everybody eat. Everybody's hungry. Like, let everybody sit around the table and let's all eat together. I like that. Okay, pop quiz. How many sailors died of scurvy caused by vitamin C deficiency from the 16th to the 18th century? A, 20,000. B, 200,000, or C, 2 million? You think you know the answer? Well, drum roll, please. It was actually 2 million people. Now, of course, scurvy is not exactly something we think about nowadays, but then again, 2 million people had to die before we figured it out. But there's another little-known deficiency affecting millions of people around the world right now, and the disease it's causing, insomnia. According to a recent academic press study, Magnesium deficiency is a leading cause of sleep disruption in both children and adults. So why don't we just take some magnesium, right? Well, the problem is not just any magnesium supplement will do. There are actually seven forms of magnesium, 
and our bodies need them in just the right balance for proper sleep. And there's only one magnesium supplement on the market that has the full spectrum of all seven forms, and it's called Magnesium Breakthrough. So don't miss out on the most relaxing sleep ever. Head over to magnesiumbreakthrough.com Luke, and the code Luke10 will get you 10% off your first bottle. And not only does it help you sleep better, it also helps you calm your mind, leaving you grounded and relaxed during the day, which is why I pop one capsule every single morning. One more time for the folks in back, that's magbreakthrough.com slash Luke, and your code is Luke10 on the first bottle. Don't miss out, my friends. Just reminded me of something that someone told me many years ago uh, around attachments. And I think it's just like an ancient parable, but it, it, it had to do with um, addiction and, uh, and I don't even know if this is if the origin story of it is true, but it was explained to me like this: that in certain parts of India, the way they trap monkeys is they uh, put some material that's attractive to the monkeys inside uh, a jar, essentially like a clay pot, and um, the opening to the pot is big enough for them to get their hand through when their hand is open. But then when they go in to grab the berries or whatever nuts in there, they close their fist around it. And when they go to pull their fist around, they can't lift the big clay pot and they essentially trap themselves. And all they have to do is let go and loosen their hand and they can pull their hand out. They can. Yeah. And um, I don't know why. That's just, it, I haven't thought about that in years, but I remember um, being in a, in a treatment center. And, and uh, I think someone told me that shortly before I went in there, but I remember thinking that, you know, it's just like, let go, let go, stop holding on, stop holding on. And now I would, now I would probably frame that as just my relationship with attachments to how I think things should be, right? And I think today when we think of, sometimes we think let go, we think of like the monkey, like, like like loosen the grip and sometimes we don't really know what does that mean to loosen the grip right and you know if anybody is like having a moment like we all do right we probably each of us probably had a moment in the last month um that's gripping us it's like i tend to think of it now as like unhook 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 because you don't have to let go to get it to go away. It's more like, or like to drop it or dissolve it or make it go. It's like, it's like, can you unhook your mind and see the walls around you or the trees around you? Or do you hear the sounds around you in the space? Or can you feel the, the way the air is moving on your skin or the way your spine feels? You know, it's like all these other kind of reference points we can look to to sort of unhook unhook because that monkey mind we have a mind like a monkey right it just wants to like grab onto everything yeah mine's more of a it's a barrel of monkeys (laughs) 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 remember those little toys it's a a party going on in here they're all connected yeah everyone's invited (laughs) yeah it's funny i didn't know we were going to get philosophical but i don't i think you know, even sometimes when I start a conversation and I have, like, this is a pretty niche topic, like the power of flowers, power, flower, flower, power. Um, say that 10 times fast. But then there's the more human side of me that's like, yeah, but I want to know the person behind the philosophy, right? It's like, why was someone drawn to something? The why has a lot to do with the who, you know? So I appreciate um, 
just getting to know your perspective a bit. Well, and I think you can't have one without the other. You know, when I, uh, the first 10 years of working with flower essences, all I did was see clients and one-on-one and make remedies for them. And then they'd come and see me every month. And I realized really quickly that because you are offering someone this antidote that moves them through things more quickly, sometimes it can be more intense. And the necessity of what I would call Mayan training or working with your emotions or making space for what arises is necessary because people will have what's called a healing crisis or they'll look at things in a different way and the two, you know, you need, you need the rubber hits the road practice. Like if a flower can unearth something that happened to you when you were four years old, oh shit, now you have to look at that, right? Like it, it dislodged this piece that was like stuck in there and you're about to, you know, let it go like a kite. But when you're right before you let it go like a kite, you've got to go through it and see it and experience it on its way out. So I realized really quickly, oh, we also need training. We need mind training, you know, to the capacity of like, we need to know how to work with our emotions because we're not taught that in the West. We don't get taught how to work with our emotions, do we? In the United States or in the no, West? No, generally not. And I think many of us that become aware of that <clears throat> and get into spirituality as a way to find answers for our lives are drawn into the temptation of bypassing, right? When you, when you, when you get, air quotes, spiritual, right? It's like love and light and crystals and flower elixirs, right? Right. Um, green juice, smoothies, meditate, go to yoga. So we, many of us, and we've, you know, most of us on the path have probably gone through this phase and hopefully outgrown it, but there's kind of a misconception that the way to happiness is just to kind of put on a smile and act as if and to be spiritual, right? But the real, the real juice of the squeeze, I think, is, is in our capacity to feel those things and really face those things, especially the things in the past. You know, otherwise it becomes kind of a um, pantomime of like, I'm a peaceful spiritual person. But you can sense in that type of person that under the surface. Bullshit. <laughs> that under the surface, <laughs> that there is a well of rage or anxiety or whatever, yeah. right? That's just kind of being, being suppressed. That's, that's eventually going to come to a boil and erupt like a volcano. And you just hope you're not in their midst when it happens, you know? But it's, it's also really fucking hard to be a feeling person, too. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to face what might come up. I mean, this happens with Allison all the time. I talked about it on a podcast the other day that I did with uh, Stephen uh, Jenkinson about death. And I, my own death is something that I really try to think about a lot. Not in a morbid way, but just it's a reality that I don't want to face and then when I'm aware of that, the wise part of myself makes me want to face it more. But I was talking to him just about um, attachments to form, right? Right. And the, the love that I have for Allison, which is just so different than any kind of love I've ever felt for another human being in my life, period. It's just an ancient 
ineffable, I don't even know what you could call it love. It's just its own thing. And sometimes um, I'll just be looking at her and I look in her eyes and it's like, it's impossible to ignore the impermanence of that experience of her in her form and me in my form. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. And so when I start to feel it come up, it's like, where's my phone? Like, fuck this. You know, I'm like, I don't want to feel this, right? It's not even like a sadness. It's just, it's intense. It's intense. And I don't want to feel it. It happened this morning. I just, she was laying on the floor in the other room and I went in and just kind of laid next to her and looked in her eyes. And I was like, oh, here it comes, you know, because there's these, these fleeting moments of connection and beauty and love that we experience. And we, if we have the awareness, we, we can sense the power of those moments. But there's also the awareness that it's gone, just like that. It requires a lot of bravery, I think is the word, to just, let me just embrace all of this and not just compartmentalize the, wow, I really love this person, but also embrace that this form of this love is going to die at some point, right? Those are the kind of feelings that I spent the first half of my life running from, almost to my demise. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful experience, though, to actually just feel the resistance in the body that's like, I don't want to feel this. Feel the, the impulse to run away, whether it's emotionally, physically, right? It's like, mm, I don't want to feel this. It's, a, it's really a beautiful practice to fully embrace everything that comes along with being a human and everything that you feel. And I find that experiences or sensations that I might have framed as being negative become much more neutral. It's like I'm just actually just feeling life, just feeling reality more and inviting more of that in. I don't think you could really deeply understand and appreciate life if you don't look at death. I mean, I understand it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone to face that imminent possibility. It's not even a possibility. It's a surety. It will happen. All of us will die. You will die in that form. I will die from this form, right? Allison will die. (gasps) Think about this. Everyone, including us, every single person you and I know right now will be dead in 100 years. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) I mean, like, it, it, it gives life a richness when you, I mean, maybe we won't, right? Maybe technology will advance and we get a few more years or something, but just the, based on the way things have gone so far in our life expectancy. To me, that it's a precious thought because it reminds me to value and cherish each moment, like the moment you and I are sharing right now, the cat walking across the table, just being present to that, I think gives life a depth and a richness that makes it easier to appreciate. You wouldn't think about that if you were ignoring death. Yeah. And it makes it easier to appreciate even when, in, when one is getting their ass handed to them by life too, right? Because you know in that moment, this will also come to pass. Those moments of elation, right? You get married, you, you, um, you win the lottery, your company does well, whatever, you know, you achieve something, right? Or you have some 
grace bestowed upon you in some way and you're elated that elation is also as temporary as your darkest depression everything is changing yeah that's the only sure thing right (laughs) yeah totally it's changing totally it can be really unnerving yeah yeah um all right there's a bunch of other stuff i want to talk about here I want to know about a. I want, I want to pivot into the flower essences. I feel like we would talk for three hours just about the meaning of life, which I love. But we do have a, a topic that this title, the show, will be titled, and people will be like, "Why are they talking about consciousness when we want to learn about flowers?" Um, tell me a little bit about the history of what history there is of working with flower essences. So, what you do, you have like these serums. You put one on my wrist before we started. It's just absolutely delicious. You have some elixirs that you can eat. And then you have these um, these sprays, these mists. And before Allison turned me on to your stuff, I had no idea that this kind of thing even existed, with the exception of that rose water stuff that girls at yoga class like to spray on a lot. <laughs> I had no clue. And so it's they started just appearing in the house more and more, and they're, now they're in this room, and now they're in every room, and they're just kind of ubiquitous in our home life experience, and she travels with them and the whole thing. Um, so to me, it's very new, but I assume there is a history of use. So maybe give us a kind of a synopsis of that. Yeah, it's a really ancient technology. You see it all over the world. And it is based on drinking the dew drops on the tops of flowers. So the Aborigines in Australia would drink the dew from the bush lollies. The yogis and yoginis in the caves in the Himalayas would consume a substance called chulen, which was the concentrated life force of crystals and flowers. The Taoists were drinking the dew drops in the mountains. Uh, if you go to Central America and you work with medicine women, um, so oftentimes they'll have you select flowers or they'll select flowers, soak them in water in the sunlight and dump it over your head. I had that in, you had in that. Costa Rica. Yeah, at ayahuasca uh, retreat at Soltara. Beautiful. Much like the one that, that you did. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when that one was coming, I was like, oh, I remember this. This is really nice. I wish I could do that every morning. Like, what a way to start the day. Like you could. A flower bath. I guess I am with your sprays, you know, right, right. medicine cabinet, mini flower <laughs> bath. But yeah, anyway, carry on. They do the same thing in India. Um, you know, moments of transition, dump the flower bath over your head. And then if you look in Europe, you see 13th, 14th, 15th centuries, the alchemists, the doctors, the nuns, they were recommending to their patients and clients and confidants go out into the wild, go across this hill, over this bend, in this part of the forest, look for this particular flower and drink the dew from the top every morning. So it was a practice. It's nothing new. It's been around forever, right? But this way of, like you said, bringing it into our everyday life so that it's easy and convenient, that part is a little bit new. In the 1930s and 40s, uh, a doctor by the name of Dr. Edward Bach, he was in the UK. He was an allopathic doctor. He got frustrated with the limitations of Western medicine. So he studied homeopathy. He became a homeopathic doctor. Then he got frustrated with homeopathy. And then he just turned to his backyard and all the flowers in his backyard. And it was him who figured out a way to scale dewdrops. Because if you live in, I live in Phoenix. We don't even have dew. You don't have dew. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe you do here in Austin, but yeah. it's 
too dry. We have a lot of humidity here, but I've tried to grow flowers and they just melt in the heat. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what kind of flowers you need here, but we've attempted with a couple and either the deer eat them or they just shrivel. Like you water them every day and they're just, they're not meant for this climate. Well, and what if your, you know, deepest, darkest thing needs a, an orchid from Costa Rica or, or a wildflower from Iceland or something from India? You know, there's over 40,000 flowering species and every single one has a, a thing that it unlocks inside of us. So it, it, this technology has been around for a long time and uh, the way that you can incorporate it really easily today, which is the kind of new part, is you can put it in your mouth, you can put it in your coffee, water, tea, you put it in your beverages. And the... Uh, uh, Think of it like very low dose, like microcurrent, right? It's like botanical Wi-Fi or floral Wi-Fi, right? If we could see it, it would be amazing. And, you know, for some people that's a little out there, but if you look at your cell phone, how does your cell phone work? You know, do any of us really understand how the cell phone works? And if somebody would have said, hey, Luke, when you were little, you're going to carry around this little box in your pocket when you get older, and it's going to emit these invisible waves and riding like on a magic carpet you you're gonna you know put all your 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 poetry and music and love notes and podcasts and all the things that are most important to you are going to ride on these invisible waves that you can't see i mean it's nuts right so in that same way nature has had that technology all along the earth is 4.5 billion years old there is a Wi-Fi, if you want to call it, or a, a like a field that is being emitted from every botanical on the planet and from the Earth itself. The Earth is a living entity. It's not, it's not like we're on some rock, right? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've only come into that awareness, sadly, over the past couple of years, really, where I have realized that the planet is a living organism. I don't know why it eluded me. I've always loved nature, but I think when I started working with medicine, I think just standing outside going, oh, I think that tree is talking to me and realizing it's not because I'm tripping. It actually is. It's responsive. You know, it's, 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 the, it's like the Vedic philosophy of, well, I'm sure other philosophies have this too, but I relate it to Vedic, but there's only one thing. And this one thing is consciousness expressed here on the planet infinitely. Right, so why wouldn't one flower and its single expression of consciousness have an have um, an effect on me as another single unique expression of consciousness? Right, it's like all nature is just it's just all in a dance, but it's all really one thing. Just God, for some beautiful reason, has chosen to express itself infinitely as all these different things that are really the same thing. You know, so that that's what has started to become more apparent to me. You know, it's like looking out the window, seeing that tree, that oak tree blow in the wind. It's like I'm having more of an experience that there's not a separation between the tree and the wind. It's one thing, actually, that just looks different. And there's no separation between the oak tree and you. And yeah, if you, yeah, yeah. If you maybe are overworking, working too hard, or kind of like grinding away, that tree will catch your attention or if you, and, and you'll want to go closer to it so that you can absorb the, you, if you want to call it energy, life force, chi, 
uh, quality of that tree, which is to calm you down when you're overworking. I just thought of something wild I've read recently, and it was something to the effect, and you, you might have a better understanding of this, that I forget if it was bees or birds, but their sounds and vibrations and behavior has an influence on flowers or else it's that flowers have an influence on them. But it's this, like you said, the internet, you know, nature's internet kind of, right? Do you, do you know anything about that? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I have heard how birds and bees will have like routes. And then also we know that bees are not attracted to flowers based on color or scent, like we thought. Oh. that flowers are actually emitting a very microelectrical current and the bees feel it on the little hairs on their legs. And so they can communicate dynamically with the flowers and botanicals. Wow. There's this that must be something at the root of what I'm, what I'm thinking of. It was just an article or something I came upon. I was like, oh, that's weird. And it had something to do with that, right? When... Like the flowers open because they sense the bees and flower and birds are around, or vice versa, something like that. But it was a it was an internet of nature kind of phenomenon. It's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense if you consider that everything is one thing. And then since we're also a part of nature, why wouldn't we be able to download or upload or you know all these funny tech words that we use? But those lessons, messages, frequencies, energies, life forces, chi flow from botanicals or flowers or the earth itself why you know why wouldn't we be able to do that of course we can do that and of course it's something that we all know how to do we just forgot that we knew how to do it and what's even more fascinating is each one of us knows exactly what we need so if you walk into a flower shop or into a garden and you know someone says which one do you like the best it's not arbitrary you will always be drawn to the one that will have the most positive impact or will activate something inside of you or magnify or empower something inside of you that is important. Adaptogens are powerful, natural substances that help our bodies manage stress and restore balance after a challenging situation like being human on planet Earth. So if you haven't been taking adaptogens after the past three years of madness, listen up. Anima Mundi Apothecary has crafted a whole line of adaptogens, tonics, and powders with all the classics like chaga, reishi, and cordyceps, plus some lesser-known herbs like miracle grass. They've even got an herbal coffee replacement and a seven-mushroom blend made with cacao. My personal go-tos are their ashwagandha and lion's mane mushroom. Ashwagandha is well-known for its ability to calm, soothe, and strengthen the body. In Ayurveda, it belongs to a group of super elixirs that are deeply healing to the mind and emotions. And of course, lion's mane mushrooms reduce anxiety and depression and even aid in cognitive function. In fact, as far as the mushroom goes, I gotta say lion's mane are my number one go-to. I get both of these in powders that I blend into my morning smoothie every day, but you can take more as needed depending on what's going on in your life at any given moment. I highly encourage you to check out their full line of products at animamundiherbals.com and use the code LUKE15 to save 15% off. Adaptogens hold a deep intelligence that gives the body precisely what's needed. So if you're anxious, they calm you. If you're fatigued, they boost your energy and stamina. And the scientists out there still don't understand how they work, 
but work they do, and that's what counts. To check it out for yourself, again, visit animamundiherbals.com. That's A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I, animamundisherbal.com, and your code is Luke15. It's kind of like um, forest bathing. Yeah. Right? It's like, I I forget again, like, (laughs) I'm not good at remembering details, but I remember reading something about how, um, you know, pine trees, for example, and you smell that, uh, you smell the terpenes or whatever in the, in the air, that it has an effect on your brain and your nervous system just from smelling that. That's part of why forest bathing works. You know, there's like the energetics of it, but there's a biochemical thing that's happening when you smell a certain smell. So I think I learned that a couple of years ago, so I started running the essential oil thing on my desk, you know, and it's kind of part of my little productivity hack, right? I was like, well, I can't be in the forest because I got to sit at this damn computer, but I'm, I'm sure as hell going to make it smell like the forest. Right. Which I think is why I like having your sprays, you know, on my desk too, because I'll just kind of get caught in the matrix of work and go like, all right, hold up. I need to just re recalibrate myself. So I can only imagine what like, and we'll get into the, the deets of this, but say like just you know, the smell of a pine tree does that. Then it got me thinking, well, all of the different combinations of flower essences that you put together, it's not only like this one thing, but then there's all of these different combinations, this synergistic. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like know, musical. The symphony that's, that's happening, right? So. But before we do that, I want to I share something with you. The most fascinating thing I find about forest bathing, because um, I know you're going to geek out on this, is... When you look at, it's exponential. That's what the most fascinating thing is about nature. To me, it is exponential. Like like us, right? Like life. If you spend one full day in the wild, let's say you and Allison go camping, and you're just out in the wild, no cell phones, mm, your white blood cell count will go up, so your immune system is boosted, your adrenal, uh, adrenal glands relax, your cortisol goes down, your adrenaline goes down, so you de-stress. And that effect lasts in your body for a week, even though you've only spent one day. So it's not one-to-one, right? Wow. Here's where it gets even trippier. If you spend two days in the wild, that effect, those positive effects on your body last for an entire month. Oh, my God. i got to get outside more. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. And and the same goes for for flower essences. So there's two things happening. One is the smell. So like the, the smell of the pine trees or the smell of a rose or the smell of jasmine, all the yummy smells, that's the, the essential oil. So right, it's like squeezing or distilling the juice, the literal juice from the plants. And that is such an amazing sensorial experience that's like tactile, right? And then there is this thing that is just the life force that we can't smell, that we can only feel. That's like love, you know? It's like... You can't see love with your eyes. You can't smell it. You can't hear it. But you know it exists because it keeps the whole planet together, right? Love is love. It's only perceivable. Yeah. I love that example of love. Um, That's usually my conversation starter for atheists. (laughs) Like, well, you can't (laughs) prove God exists. Like, can you prove love exists? You know, when you pick up your two-year-old or you pet your dog or you see your husband or wife or your mom or your dad, like, what is that then, right? 
it's intangible, yet you know it's real and you know it's true. And that same kind of love exists. And no offense to atheists. I, I think atheists are very faithful people because they have a belief that they adhere to. So there really are no atheists if you want to get down to it. Because <laughs> atheists believe in something and what they believe in is that there's nothing that's a belief. Anyway, this kind of shit I think about. You know, I'm meditating, these thoughts come together, you know. I don't know if they make sense to anyone else but me, but I like to share them. It's important because it, it, it dictates how we see the world and where we see the malleability, workability of things, right? And the, the love exists in nature. It just doesn't look like how we're used to it. Like, as humans, we're used to, like, a touch or a smile or a coming closer, right? We're used to something a little more physical. Or maybe not. Maybe it's, like, a subtle felt thing. That's more along how nature, how nature rolls. It's a subtle felt thing. You know, if you look at a flower, it's uh, undeniably, you feel something. It's beautiful, it's weird, it's funky, it's crazy, right? Or if you think about when you were a kid, tell me about, tell me about some time in your childhood when you played around flowers or trees or, like, what do you remember? Um, thing that comes to mind isn't relevant to flowers, but I do, one of my earliest memories, and it is related to plants, one of my earliest memories is when uh, my, my parents had been divorced when I was really young, and we lived in Aspen, Colorado. And uh, they broke up. My mom lived there for a few more years and then decided to move back to the Bay Area in California. And uh, the only life I had known was in Colorado. <laughs> and so I didn't know the smell of sea air, mm. and I didn't know about lawns, really. There weren't a lot of lawns there. And so I remember when we arrived at my grandma's house in Concord, California, getting out of my mom's brown pinto and just reveling in the enjoyment of the lawn, like a manicured lawn. <laughs> just a weird memory that pops up. I mean, I'm sure many more important things happened. Seeing grandma, hey, you know, like I'm sure there was <laughs> some impactful moments, but I just remember like the essence of California, of smelling the ocean air of the Bay Area and just being on soft, green, lush grass. If you could describe the character, personality, feeling um, of that lush grass and the sea breeze, how would you describe it in three words? Um, bliss, playful, and free. Okay, this is really interesting. I'm just going to interject for the listeners here. If you want a really cool exercise to do, do what we just did, right? So you're going to think of something from childhood that you that you love, whatever your first memory is. Write down three words to describe its personality or how it made you feel. Try not to use color or fragrance. And then just do that right now. And then there's a second part to it, and that is... Tell me any flower or tree botanical that is super interesting to you right now. That just, whatever pops into your head. Got one? Orchid. What does it look like? Fuchsia. 
Yeah, fuchsia. And the petals look soft. So if you could describe the personality or character of that flower, how would you describe it in three words? Delicate. Sensitive. Those might be same. Well, not necessarily. Physically delicate, energetically sensitive, and generous. Okay, so if you're listening, then you're going to do the same exercise. What pops in your mind, right? Write down three words. Do you want to know what it means? Of course. Okay, so in my experience, the childhood experience is how you bring your greatest gifts into the world. So through this vehicle of bliss and what else did you say? Playful. Playfulness. And free. And freedom. So you probably could look at all the different experiences you've had over your life and say, this is what you were aiming for. This is what you were embodying. This is what you were bringing to the table. This is how you, or maybe you bring that to your relationship with Allison, right? Bliss, freedom, playfulness. Or maybe that's what you bring to the podcast. Or maybe that's how you bring the essence of you into your work. Um, And the flower that you're drawn to today is rather than being like, that is you, right? So the first word is like, that is you. Does Does that resonate? The flower today is something you're working on today. So like you might be exploring the edges of what does it feel like to be sensitive? Sensitive meaning perceptive, aware of what's going on around you, aware of even the subtlest energetics the delicacy of the physical body and how it interacts with the sensitivity of the world around it. And what was the third word you said? Uh, should I forget? Do you remember, Brandon? <laughs> you, you said soft originally. Um, generous. Generous. Yeah, generous. Okay, so then you might be exploring, you said soft, so I'm going to go with that one too, like a softer side of you now as compared to when you were younger. And then a generosity, like you might be exploring the edges of your generosity. Does that resonate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Isn't that fun? I love it. Okay, do you want more games? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Tell me three. So for those listening, not watching the video, um, There are two, well, for those that are watching the video, this is what we've got here. So there's three cards that are uh, full of photos of of flowers, and they're about a a foot square. And uh, there's all sorts of different flowers with a number next to them. That's what we're looking at. So you'd want to take a look at that first card and point out three that you're most drawn to, or that look interesting. How intuitive should it be versus, like, taking one's time? However you go about your normal. Okay, however you roll. Okay. Number five. And um, let's see. Number 16. Number 18. Okay, so let's see. Uh, 
First of all, I'll just say, the flowers on this card have more to do with acquired or inherited patterns. Inherited being, remember how we talked about like six to eight generations back in your family lineage? Acquired meaning, oh, I had this experience when I was in elementary school and it led me to kind of have this MO, right? So the first flower you picked is a bird of paradise. And this answers the previous question that you had had and tucked it away for later. So the bird of paradise is for people or times when we have really busy mind, really active, tons of ideas, super creative, innovative, and also hard to turn it off at night. Or very logical, intellectual, and then at times hard to come down into the heart. The former would be uh, fitting for me. <laughs> good, good, innovative, yeah. creative thinker. Yeah. Hard to turn it off at night. Yeah. So the, that flower and the, the quiet mind remedy in general would help you relax everything and be able to sleep better at night. There's my answer from before. Well done. <laughs> the fern is... Okay, so, and these can change anytime, right? These aren't static. This could change in a month from sure. now. The fern is you are doing something that's a little bit different, maybe, that you've never done before or going about something in a new way. And your typical MO would be like, okay, I'm going to plan this, 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 and this. But in this particular situation, you just can't. You have to trust that you're just going to get to here. And then once you get to here, you're going to trust that you'll know what to do once you get there. That's the essence of the fern is to just really allow yourself to let it unfold as you go and deepen it into that self-trust. Does that make sense? And then the crazy tall tower of blue flowers is Pride of Madeira. That is for when we are different, unique, weird, not like the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely suitable. And always kind of coming back to that as asset, not hindrance. Because sometimes we feel like, Oh, God, I'm so weird. I just don't fit in here. Where do I belong? And so that can happen, you know, when we're young, young kids. And now we're coming to this fullest expression of who we are in the world. So the fern is in a blend called inner knowing. The pride of Madeira is in a blend of flower essence. It's called luscious embodiment. Where does the pride of Madeira grow in the world? It grows outside of San Francisco in these huge cone-like towers. They almost really? look like, yeah, they look like creatures. Cool. Or uh, Las Palmas, Tenerife, the Canary Islands in Spain. Wow. So fun. I mean, who doesn't like to look at these, you know, too? It's just like there's, I mean, from a reductionist logical standpoint, one could say, oh, flowers look beautiful because it attracts the bees and that's how they pollinate and so on, right? But I mean, it's no accident that humans are intrinsically yoked to flowers in every culture, right? And it's, it's got to be more than just, oh, it's nice looking. There's, and, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but just coming at this from my more pragmatic self, it's like, huh, maybe there's more here than, than meets the eye when you look at the way that we relate to flowers. Even if you look at just here in the States or here in the West, when do flowers make their appearance 
in our lives, right? They come in when we're in love or when we have babies or when we uh, get sick. We bring our loved ones flowers at a death or any kind of ceremony, right? These are pivotal moments of change and transition. I think on some level, we must know that these flowers assist us in getting to the other side of whatever that... Right, and we put them on graves. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really, <laughs> I never inventoried all the ways, you know, the ceremonial and kind of ritualistic ways that we work with flowers too. That's interesting. Uh, what about, um, are you done with this part of it? Did it resonate? Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, that, that one, especially because, um, or no, 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 it was the fern. The fern, it's like immediately brought to uh, this process of uh, writing a book. That I've been in for a while now. And it's it's a new thing, you know. I don't know how to write. I don't know how to write a book. I'm learning by doing, you know, doing it and then going, oh, okay, well, this is this doesn't work, this does work, and it's it's a new experience entirely. And one that I really enjoy, but it's you know, there's the hurdle of not knowing how to do it. Right. And so not knowing how to do it is kind of a one form of resistance that comes up and gets me to find all sorts of other things to do around the house other than sit and write the book. (laughs) Talk about writing the book. Think about writing the book. Water the plants or anything except sit there and at a blank page and go da-da-da and start typing. I remember those days. Yeah. I was writing in 2014 or 15. And I remember thinking when I got the deal from Hay House that like, oh, it's going to be so fun. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to feel creative and I'm going to write. It's going to be the best thing. And then some weird thing happens, right? And you're just like, I mean, at least for me, I hope you don't have moments like this, but I would have moments where I was just crawling out of my skin, like so uncomfortable. And I couldn't pinpoint why or where the discomfort came from. And then I would look for all the other things to do besides write. There's a million things to do besides, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I should go out and rearrange the bins in the garage today. You know, it's anything, right? Anything other than just freaking right. It's kind of sort of like that when you were talking about this morning next to Allison feeling and you're reflecting on the moment, the impermanence, the imminence of death. It's that kind of, oh, I got to just move. I got to do something else. I got to go somewhere else. Like you don't really, we don't really understand why these things are so uncomfortable. But I mean, in in the case of books, usually it's because it's like your essence going to be, you know, your greatest work exposed and put out there. Yeah, totally. It it might, yeah, it might be more prone to resistance if it's a really personal book, which mine is. You know, so it's 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 twofold. It's it's that right that I'm going to be sharing. I mean, not like I'm guarded in any respect. And anyone listens to the show knows it's super personal, and I'm I'm pretty open. But it's that other people are going to be getting access to the deepest parts of me. But it also means that I have to face the deepest parts of me during the process, right? That's the harder part. And my book is going into trauma and addiction and all, you know, all kinds of gnarly stuff that I'm not afraid of, like in my conscious state. But when you get there and really start to tease it apart, it's it's much different. 
know, you really get down to the granular level of some of the things that have been painful to experience, and it's a different way of facing it. Yeah, yeah. But it's fun. So the fern. Okay, so, let's do one more thing. So should I, like, when I want to sit and write, should I use the, the, um, the blend that has the fern in it? Yes, in yeah? the morning. Yes. Okay, it's, cool. It's, it will help you, like, have enough energy to push through the resistance. Cool. It will give you breakthroughs. It will help you navigate how do you explore that unknown territory and face things maybe in a new way, in a new, new dynamic. Cool. Love it. Okay, let me ask you one last question. Okay. Of the, Because this might have to do with the book. I don't know. We'll see. These two are more like collective consciousness patterns. So this would be, what is Luke anchoring in in this moment right now for all of the collective consciousness? These are things all of us feel, but you in particular are working on this flavor right now. You like these better or these better as a whole? Which, which bouquet is more interesting to you? This one. Okay, so I'm going to toss this one. And which three flowers on there are you most drawn to? Flowers are such a trip. (laughs) So wild. That one. Okay. Or 11. Okay. And... This one, number one, mm-hmm. and oh, it's so hard. I want to pick all of them. They're so interesting looking. Number twenty. Oh, cool. Okay, so I think it has to do with your book too. Interesting. Okay, so we'll start with this bright yellow one. That's one of the agave species. So they would call it a century plant or, you know, something that mm, blooms every hundred years and then it dies. So it, it puts all of its juice and energy into growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And then it blooms and dies. This is just like one chance, right? Uh, wow. So the, um, <laughs> the, it's like for when you're ready to just take a huge... It could be for, like, physical cleansing. could be for emotional cleansing. It could be, like, whoa, all in one go, really rapidly. Not, like, little baby steps and, you know, drinking more water and detox and so on. Like, not, like, little incremental. It's, like, a huge dump all at once. Then we have mm, this white orchid, the radiance orchid. And it is for when we feel... Sometimes a sense of loss or separation, which for you is really interesting because it may not be past. It might be future based on what you've been talking about. For some people, it could be, oh, I'm really missing this person or I feel really nostalgic for these moments in my life or I feel really separate or so-and-so died and I feel this like, oh, chasm. For you, it might be, it will happen. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that, that rings very true. Using those. Like I'm much more afraid of success than failure. Mm. always have been failures i know how to do that (laughs) (laughs) done a lot of it i'm well versed in fucking up my life but succeeding is is scarier because it comes with uh requirements and demands 
of me. Can we come back to that? Yes. I want to ask you about that. So the antidote to feeling separate is to feel more interconnected, right? And in those moments, like this morning with Allison, that you feel like, oh my God, one day she's not going to be in this form. <gasps> then rather than being hanging out there, uh, it, this particular flower, if you worked with it, it would take those moments and anchor you into inseparability with her so that you feel 100% interconnected and inseparable. And then the pain of the loss isn't there. Mm, which is, I think, I, I think that's really important. I don't know if you're going to put elements of that in your, in your writing, but something I think that everyone would want to hear about. And then the Venus flytrap was your, other, your third one. And that is for when we... And that's considered a flower? It's not really a flower, but it does have a flower. We just featured the little crappy thing, but it has a little white flower. Oh, okay. It can be for two extremes. One is either you might find yourself like giving too much, doing too much, and then uh, feeling tired, or you you give and give and give, and then you finally get the success, and you're like, yeah, I don't think I really wanted that anyway. Or some great opportunity comes to you and you're like, mm, is that what I really want? Like you hesitate. So the Venus flytrap would be like divine timing. It would help you conserve energy, conserve, 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 instead of give too much. And then in that right moment, boom, you just act without any hesitation. Uh, that could also apply to your writing. Sometimes we think, oh, we need to like be writing all the time and every day. Maybe not. Maybe you conserve, 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 and fill yourself up with other things, and then when the moment strikes, you hit it. Did any of those three resonate? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially the the latter, um, because I, with all creative ventures, I tend to perform my best when I'm under pressure and a deadline, and I like to do a bunch at once rather than a little at a time, and that's definitely true of writing. Like, I'll dread sitting down to write. I put it on my calendar. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, I just, like, <laughs> you know, put it off, procrastinate and all that. But then once I sit down, like, you can't get me off the computer for six hours. Like, I just literally can't stop. And I won't eat. I won't come out. Allison will come knock on the door and give her the obligatory hug. And I'm just like, I got to get back to write. <laughs> I don't want to break the spell, you know. I'm in the zone, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that definitely rings true. Yeah. It's funny, though, you know, when I use the essences um, that I described earlier around the house, like, I don't even know which ones I'm using. I feel like after this conversation, I would be served to become more deliberate because I just pick them based on, like, oh, I like the label, you know, like Divine Within, beautiful label, great branding, by the way. Thank you. Um, And I don't even look at the ingredients. I'm just like, I like the label and I like the way it smells and that becomes part of my routine, but I don't have any sort of just for lack of knowledge that I'm, you know, I and everyone listening are getting now, um, have not used them deliberately with any kind of intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I can make a, a little key for you. Cool. This is for writing the book. This is for no hesitation, jumping on it, and intuitive communication styles. God, it smells so freaking good. I wish people listening could smell what we're smelling. Well, I guess they can. Um, talk to me about uh, about sourcing. 
where where do you get i mean i i have a sense it probably doesn't take that much bulk material if you're just using like the word it would imply essence um but i know that like in the commercial flower industry it's very problematic because they're spraying glyphosate on the roses and i always think about that every time i see someone sniffing roses i'm like oh my god you're probably sniffing glyphosate <laughs> you know? is that is that true that you know, a lot of like, you go to Whole Foods and buy a bouquet of flowers that it's likely sprayed with pesticides. Like what's up with the sourcing, sustainability, uh, purity, all that? So so with what we work with, I specialize in flower remedies. So that's the part that doesn't have a scent. I also work with aromatherapy. So we'll we'll get to that part. The first part is the flower essence, just the energy part. So I go out to the wild. I look for the flowers. They have to be growing in the ground. They can't be picked, uh, ideally, in a place where there aren't humans, where there isn't a lot of interference. Wild places, nature places. And, you know, I'll just travel to find, to find the flowers. Wow. Then we come back to the exponential part, which is, it, this is what's so cool about this modality, is all you need is, I mean, depending on the size of the flower, one to ten flowers... For a long, 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 long time. Because what you're doing is making a mother essence. So the sunlight drives the life force into the water. The water is like a recording device, right? Water stores information. Studies show 44,000 pieces of information in every water cluster. So it's like the shiny stuff on a CD. That's water, recording device. So it stores the information from the flower, and then you add alcohol to preserve it. That is just the mother essence. Then we bring it back. Then we do the dilutions, kind of like homeopathy. The more dilute it becomes, the more powerful and subtle it becomes. The more it's like, uh, like to give a metaphor, the less of like lightning bolt it is and the more of like subtle little uh, electrical impulse that you're tapping into with an acupuncture needle. And then that essence moves through all your acupuncture meridians of your body and your chakras and your nadis, right? So hypothetically, just a handful of flowers collected by me may be enough, unless our company really goes gangbusters, that I could even pass it down to future generations. Wow. That's how exponential. That's crazy. Mother Nature is. Because when I spray these, I'm thinking, I mean, I would picture like each little bottle took a whole bundle of flowers or something. You know? If you're talking about the scent, it did. Okay. So that, that's kind of the whole other extreme. Okay. We love to work with essential oils because, I mean, frankly, because when I first started in 2001 in the U.S., uh, people were just not ready for flower, energy, life force, chi. That was not a conversation. You know, I mean, they were popular in Europe, Australia, Asia. People kind of knew what, what, what they were. Mexico. But in the U.S. in the early 2000s, like meditation wasn't even cool. Yoga wasn't even cool then. So my strategy was to combine them with essential oils. And then if people just thought it was a nice smelling thing. Uh, okay, so the smell that I'm getting is not the essences. That's the essential oil component of it. Right. God. And the essential oils are very precious in that. So like one drop of rose oil requires 40 roses. So somebody had to grow the roses and harvest the roses and distill the roses and get the oil. I mean, incredible plant, like vast amounts of 
botanical material, right, to make this tiny little portion of essential oils. That blows my mind. That's so much labor and effort into this, like, precious yeah. form, right? And I've heard that before. I think, of, like, um, I've been on lavender farms, you know, which are just beautiful. I love lavender. And I think of, like, each bushel, you know, it's probably going to make a drop of the end product of the oil. You know, it's just wild. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly, right? So this is kind of the base of this one that we started with is Rose and Palo Santo. So, I mean, you know, how many petals went into this this one experience? So there's got to be, obviously, you know, you're talking about the energetics of the flower essences and this dilution that you're making with the sun and the water, right? I get that. But there's got to be a compound effect of the sensory experience of the essential oil part, too. Because even just running a diffuser with some very basic essential oils definitely changes the ambiance in the room, can change your mood, can have all these concrete physiological discernible effects. So, yeah, that, what I think it is. What? I think it's the most powerful tool we have, and I think it's awareness. I think if we are, so let's say I put, oh, this is a funny one. Uh, let's say we put stream orchid. This is a flower essence, no scent, into your drink here, right? And you're just like moving, going. You're doing stuff. You kind of slam it back. You're not really aware. But if you stop and you take a deep breath and you are stopping to perceive the smell or you're inhaling, you're opening up the doors of your awareness even more. So is it that the effect of the energy was less in the drink, not necessarily. But if you turn toward it, do you notice it more? Probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just like the practice of burning incense, right? When you walk into a space and there's beautiful incense burning, is it the smoke that's helping you feel more peaceful to do your meditation or whatever? Maybe, but it's Probably a lot of what you're describing is the presence. You walk in and your senses are hit. Boom. There's an, something has changed when I walked through that door. And what changed was, oh, I'm stopping to notice something now. It's unhooking you from your thinking mind into nowness, presence. So when you travel around the world to collect these flowers, um, are you rolling through customs with like a bunch of dried flowers? Like, <laughs> what does that look like in, in real life? It sounds like a fun life. It is fun. Mm, the customs piece, I'm rolling through customs with lots of little jars of liquid wrapped in clothes. That okay. If they were to look at them, they just look like water and alcohol because they're it. not going to test the energetics, right? Got it. So when you travel, you're doing the extraction process on location and then bringing them the essence back with you. And the actual flower stays there. Uh, we can either, okay. if the flower is bendy, right, we can just bend the flower over into the water. If oh, it's, wow. If it's, and then put it back. If it's not bendy, then we have to cut it. But it's such a minimal quantity that... Uh -huh. I like what you're saying about the water being this recorder of information. That whole topic is fascinating to me. I don't know if you happen to listen to an episode I did with uh, Veda Austin. I don't know if you've heard any episodes, but 
if you haven't heard that one, that shit, it's one of my top downloads. And she's, you know, relatively speaking, as compared to some of my guests that are more uh, noteworthy, you know, Joe Dispenza, whoever. I mean, she's very under the radar. And she's, I think, my top download number six or eight or something out of almost 500 episodes in seven years. Yeah, people love that episode. And it was one of the most special conversations just to me personally, subjectively. And she proves beyond any shadow of doubt that water not only records consciousness, but really is consciousness. It's alive. I mean, that episode blew my mind. So when you're talking about, you know, the water recording the information that these plants carry, it makes perfect sense. And then the fact that we're 75% water and in our brains, it's like 95% water, right? And the you know, the blood, the blood and the fluids of our body. I mean, my, my flower essence teacher used to talk about it in terms of like the micro crystalline structure of the, of the blood, you know, and there's all this information that's held in our own bodies. And so when you introduce the purity of flowers in the form of water into your own waters, it harmonizes. How do you figure out where to go to find your flowers in the wild? Like you're not going to downtown LA to the flower mart and just, you know, <laughs> hacking off a bunch of glyphosate roses. Like how do you even know where to go? Every time it's different. You know, I remember once looking at, you know, when Airbnb was kind of new, I was just like scrolling through Airbnb on the iPad and I was like, <gasps> Iceland? What is this place? Iceland? Like, you know, and I, I just, you know, I felt like it was super indulgent. Like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I really want to go there. Wait, why would I want to go to Iceland? I don't, I don't have a reason to go there. But the more I looked into it, I discovered that there's this huge amount of orchids in Iceland. Really? So, so I went to Iceland. Um, and, man, that is like one powerful place for sensing and feeling the essence of the earth. And then as you... Like flowers from different parts of the world have different themes. So I discovered just by, you know, collecting and going different places and getting to know the different flowers from different places. For example, Costa Rica, all of the flowers I've collected from there, even though each one is so nuanced and different, like a fingerprint, they all kind of follow under this theme of very deep subconscious fears, like weird stuff like fear of persecution or like fear of getting eaten by a wild animal or fear of being attacked, you know, stuff that we don't really think of on on top of mind, but it's in there somewhere. Iceland is like all the childlike wonder and joy and discovery. Flowers from Southeast Asia are like, wow, prolific growth. You know, like what can help move you into prolific success and activity? So it's interesting to see by location what the themes are. A common request from Lifestylist listeners is a breakdown of my top five non-negotiable supplements. After a couple decades of research, I'd have to say that vitamin K2 easily makes that list. Nearly every American adult has insufficient levels of vitamin K2. It's simply not available in the modern Western diet. Why does this matter? Well, a K2 deficiency can cause major issues, including coronary artery disease, heart disease, bone spurs, kidney stones, and liver stones. 
plaque in your heart vessels, and even major cardiac events. In 1990, the Rotterdam study looked at people from eastern Japan who consumed high amounts of K2. More than 8,400 participants were given 50 micrograms of natural K2 on a daily basis for more than 10 years, and the results were insane. Participants of the study showed a 50% decrease in cardiovascular events and mortality, a 25% decrease in all-cause mortality, and finally a 25% increased rate of living longer and healthier. It's crazy what they found in this study. So now you can see why I'm into taking K2 every single day of my life. And my favorite source is from a company called Just Thrive. Their vitamin K2 is the only product on the market with 320 micrograms of pharmaceutical grade K2-7, which is the optimal daily amount. This is the K2 I use and trust because it's microbiologist formulated and clinically tested and supports healthy heart, circulation, brain, bones, and nerves, and even encourages healthy blood sugar levels. So for exceptional gut and immune health, there's nothing like Just Thrive. And right now you can get 15% off everything Just Thrive carries when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use the code LUKE15 at checkout. That's justthrivehealth.com and the code is LUKE15. So let's say you, uh, you know, are attracted to Iceland you fly there, you get a ride to your Airbnb. Like, how do you know where to go? <laughs> like, are you just driving yeah. around until you see a field? Sometimes. You know, like you see a hill. And, oh, those look like flowers, and you just go over there. Like, how do you how do you navigate where to go? Sometimes, yes. I mean, in the case of Iceland, I probably did some research and looked at the different species, but it was a total shit show. I mean, I think it was on like day seven, and I was like, Am I ever gonna find these? I was like so doubtful, right? And you see, when you look at the pictures online, the orchids look like huge, right? <laughs> you get there. No wonder I couldn't see them. They're like a centimeter tall. You know, like the, the oh, actual really? flower is so tiny. So beautiful, but so tiny. Oh, it takes a while to find it. Uh, so, it's, so it's like a foraging practice, essentially, that part of it. Like it one is. would go out in the forest and look for mushrooms or something. Foraging, wild crafting. And in some cases, if it's a really rare flower, I get I have gotten really interested lately in finding rare things that are hard to find, then it requires, how do I say this without sounding woo-woo? Oh, so do you know the work of Stephen Herod Buhner? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's an amazing, he just passed away in January. He uh, did a lot of work with plants and indigenous people, and um, he saw that if, you know, if you put an intention out there to a particular plant, let's say, I need help with this, or my son has asthma, I need help with this, or I'm grieving, I need help with this, that the plant's chemical constituents would actually change within 24 to 48 hours based on that request. Wow. Right? So huh. if if I'm looking for something really rare, I remember looking for this one, actually, this uh, this white kind of crazy orchid that looks like fingers. Of course, I looked online and I looked at where did it grow. Um, I called some, you know, sciencey academic people. They would not tell me. They didn't want me to know where it was because it was almost on the endangered list, right? So I just, for like two or three months before I knew I was going to be there, every morning in my meditation practice, I would say, hey, 
the, like the last little thing was like, hey, um, remember I'm, I'm coming in July. And if you want to be found, if you want to be of service to humanity in this way, if you want to reach thousands of people, please help me find you really quickly. So I just do that every day, every day. Wow. You know, and part of you thinks like you're nuts, right? <laughs> like, is this really going to work? <laughs> but holy shit, it works. You know, like we say, we say the earth is a living entity, but when you put it into practice, it is still mind-blowing. You know, fast forward a few months, we're driving through the middle of the country, in the middle of Minnesota, in some, you know, county that there's, you know, probably more blades of grass than people. And mm, we just, I just say like, that road sounds cool. I like the name of that. Let's drive down there. And literally within five minutes, I spot one from the road. I didn't even have to walk and look, <laughs> you know? And wow. then, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm, like, freaking out. So I tell the photographer, like, Taylor, oh, my God, I see one. So we, we, like, we stop the car. We get out. We go running. And we're just standing there, like, our jaws drop. How, how could we find this? How could it be so easy? And it was dusk, and the sky was kind of pink and orange. There was like a teeny little cloud, but for the most part, the sky was clear. And we're standing there with our jaws open, looking at these orchids, and that teeny, tiny cloud above us rumbles. Thunder. You know, we're just like, what? Like, how is that possible? And it, to me, in the moment, it felt like Mother Earth, like saying... Yes. Like, I see you. Here's what you wanted. I mean, I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but if we ask for that type of communication, it's there. You know, and if we're open enough to receive it, you could go in your backyard and say, this is my deepest challenge. Does anybody here have uh, information for me? And you might think you're crazy, but you will get information. Well, you're describing what I see in the backyard every day when Allison goes out there. <laughs> I've learned a lot, you know, about this type of thing from uh, being in relation with her. You know, it's taken, it's not like I ever judged her. It's like, oh, it's her thing. She's out talking to the tree and, and she literally just lives like that, as you describe. Um, but seeing it in practice and seeing things come to fruition over and over and over again to the point where I'm like, okay, she's on to something. Then I, beca I, I become curious, like with your products, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, it's a cute little thing, Allison. She sprays, they smell nice, whatever, you know, I just didn't really think much of it. Um, one thing that was actually really impactful, though, too, because I don't know, I'm like, I am very woo-woo and intuitive and spiritual and all that, right? But there is still the pragmatic part of me. It's like, <laughs> ah, it sounds cool, but I need to see proof. Right. But when we were at your flower lounge, um, when was that, last year or so? About a year ago? One year ago. Yeah. Um, in your presentation, one of the things you did is you showed all of these before and after slides of people. And, I mean, it was mind-blowing, just the physical changes in people's faces from just doing this just incorporating the flowers into their life. It was really cool. It is. It's not. Um, my battery on my iPad has 3% left, so and I, I want to make sure I get this right, so I'm going to okay. let people know. If you guys want to check out the Lotus Way products, I highly recommend that you do. 
Uh, we'll put this in the show description, this link, but I wanted to mention it because I don't do intros anymore. I decided I'm just going to do everything within the episode. Hopefully people like it because I certainly do. Here's what you're going to do. Go to lotusway.com slash lukestory, and that is L-O-T-U-S-W-E-I, lotusway.com slash lukestory. And if you put my name in there at checkout, you save 10%. And as I said, I'll put that in the show description too. I probably wouldn't have been able to memorize that. By the way, Brandon, I think we should keep this iPad plugged in. I'll, yeah, just leave it over there because I find that um, even though it's so old, when I have it plugged in, it, it always makes me nervous that it's going to die. But it is on the right charging thing. It's charging. It just doesn't want to stay. I like incorporating you into the show. You know, like on Rogan, he always talks to Jamie. Yeah. Jamie, you're <laughs> like my Jamie. <laughs> yeah. We need a we need a, a TV like a computer monitor so you can look stuff up. You know, fact check that, Brandon. We don't need any fact checks today. It's so hard for me not to include you in the conversation. It to feels really weird, right? I know. Not to I know. We should just throw a mic on him <laughs> next time, and you know he can interject. Because it's funny because after we do these, he'll often like have questions for the guest or comments, or it'll spurn a conversation between between us. And he really is kind of part of the show anyway. Uh, okay, so when you talked earlier about um, your community in Phoenix, are you you know living in a communal house with a bunch of people? You mentioned your roommate. Like, what's what's your little scene look like out there? It, it seems like I've spent quite a bit of time there. It seems like an unlikely place that a bunch of flowery. Buddhist type of people would <laughs> congregate in land? Like, how'd you end up there? What, what's your day-to-day life like there and your social and work community and whatnot? How did I end up there? Yeah, when you, you come back from living outside the country and you're going through reverse culture shock and you're just trying to figure out where to land. It's January. I'm not going back to the Midwest where there's snow. Phoenix, great, you know? I have been to Phoenix when I was a kid. To visit my grandparents, and I always felt like it was this really... Me too. That's why I was there. Quiet. You know, people go to the desert when they're on their spiritual seeking journeys because you can see the horizons. It's like the the reflection of the plant life shows you something about yourself. So when you can see all the horizons, you can't hide things when you're in the desert from yourself. You know, it's very like... In your face. Not everybody wants to live in the desert because it's so like hot and dry and there's no water and there's no wood and you can't go crawl up on a nice warm piece of moss, soft moss. <laughs> <You> <laughs> it's like not can. happening. Yeah. <laughs> Prickery and pokey. That's, that's and, interesting. You know, there is a spaciousness about the desert that does beckon introspection. Yeah. There are fewer distractions. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways I feel that here too in Austin, although it's a little different. It is that kind of spacious um, awareness, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of my community, there's a um, all of us just sort of converge there at different times. And some of us live together, some just come over for dinner at night. Um, there's a whole kind of mix of people. And then we also have, you know, folks in Singapore, Canada, India, uh, Ireland, you know, so we're, we're also very spread out, too. Um, but our self-arising nature center is in Phoenix. And if anyone wants to get a taste of the desert, that's a really beautiful place to come and 
experience, like the private ceremonies that you and Allison experienced. Highly, highly recommend. And we'll put that in the show notes, you guys, uh, for those traveling to Phoenix or people that live in that area. Again, the show notes is lukestory.com slash flowers. So Alpha Arising Nature Center mm-hmm. is what your spot, your brick and mortar there? Yeah. And you guys do those treatments with the acupuncture and the flower? <laughs> I highly, highly recommend, honestly. I mean, I love your products too, but like that was... Amazing. I would do that shit every week if I lived in Phoenix. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so restorative. But, you know, that's also just, I think, different people have different personalities. I like to be, I think because I'm super productive and active and just kind of hyper in the way that I work and just just busy, super busy, like many people. I loved that because it put me in that drooling on the pillow, theta. That's my favorite. I think if, you, if I could like pick my favorite brainwave state, it would be high theta. You know, I like it when your mind's awake, but your body's asleep. It's probably why I used to like opiates a lot because opiates have a lot of side effects, unfortunately, but that's the thing. It's kind of like daydreaming, mm-hmm. right? Where like you're not awake and you're not asleep. That's the sweet spot. If I could live like that all the time, I would, but you don't get much done except drooling. But that was like so, oh my God, it was so nice. And Allison had the same experience. It's such a powerful state for being able to dump stuff that you don't need. And you know how we talk, like turn up the volume on who you are and turn down the volume on the noise because you are such a kind of subtly attuned, sensitive person. You don't need to be like, you know, whacked over the head with some kind of crazy treatment. You know, it's like, you're you're receiving the subtlety of that information and it's nourishing you and and waking you up in ways that it it doesn't have to be this like really extreme intense thing right because you're you're attuned to it i remember working with this fellow who was a who was a vet and um, he had been working in the special forces and you know been shot at and stabbed and bombs going off and trapped under burning cars and really, really, really intense, crazy stories. And I watched him go through in one session all of the sort of reliving the memories and unpacking from all of those different injuries in the course of like two hours. And at that point, you know, I just started missing him and um, and like touching his body where the where he was feeling it, and he was like describing, oh my god, like I feel like this, or the you know the knife feels cold, or the I'm under the car and it's hot and I can't move because I'm gonna get shot, and you know just kept using the flower essences and watched how it's almost like we pulled out those files, you know, from his body system, from his energy system, and you think if. Something so subtle and delicate and unseen can pull that level of intensity of trauma out of our energy systems in two hours. I mean, maybe you could say it was him. Maybe you could say he was ready for it. Maybe someone else wouldn't be ready for it. But why are we not all using this? You know, for all of our various different types of traumas and experiences that we have in life. Because, I mean, I don't have that level of intensity of experience around violence, for example. 
you know, and I look at other solutions for veterans and, you know, talk therapy and, oh gosh, we could just save like all that time and money, right? And just like get to the drooling, they just save. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Well, there's something to be said for, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot going on energetically, but there's something to be said too, specifically with trauma, um, the healing that can take place when you truly feel safe. I mean, you felt uh, cared for and held and seen. I mean, that in and of itself, kind of like you were talking about before, just the awareness of the phenomenon of the mind is the thing that unravels it, right? You don't actually have to do anything to fix it. It's just you become aware of it. And I think sometimes with healing, like you described, that is more in the subtle realm, not like drinking four cups of ayahuasca and getting blasted off with the the elves, the ET elves. Um, and there's a place for that for some people too. But in the subtlety, I think a lot of it has to do with just the safety. You know, when you know that like the energetics of the people in the room are of high intention, right? And that there's there's a field of integrity and a field of caring, a field of safety. So much magic can happen. And you add in, you know, the energetics of the flowers and the things that you're doing. It's, it makes perfect sense to me. And honestly, that's this year I came to such a strong conclusion, and probably a lot of your listeners will relate, that I cannot convince anyone of anything. Like, there's no amount of talking I can do, or showing, or pleading, or begging, or, you know, like, you know, you know, close family members, sometimes they'll have like a health issue, and you want to like, maybe share something that you've learned, and they don't want to listen or they, you know, they choose a different path, let's say. That happened a lot in the past three years. Right. (laughs) Many families have been torn apart for that very reason. So with this kind of new way of, it's not new, actually, it's ancient. The body heals itself, right? If we observe the mind, it unravels itself. If we are in a safe space and we have the right methods and tools and practices and remedies, we can let all of those things dissolve and become liberated or free from the sticky points and the trauma. Then we don't have to do any of the convincing. We don't have to like impose how we feel on anyone. It's like everyone becomes sovereign. Everyone is powerful in their own right to solve their own problems, right? Whether it's now or later, we get to choose. And it's like, oh, well, if I just get as many people, you know, it's like, it's so funny to me because this is like what inspired me from my teacher, right? He said, if we get 3% of the world's population working with flower remedies, and then here I am, like all these years later and all this meditation practice later and all these clients and business and stuff later, I'm like, Right. That's all I have to do is get the flower essences into as many hands of people as I can and let them wake themselves up. Let the flowers, you know, and the botanicals and Mother Nature just like work their way through their systems to a a point that each sovereign individual awakens on their own accord. Because that's how we do it anyway, right? This is just a little bit of like acceleration dust, sprinkle acceleration dust. <laughs> like acceleration. I want to make a product <laughs> called acceleration dust. It, 
it's interesting. I'm kind of understanding a bit more about the energetics of, of what you're doing. And it's, um, it reminds me of, it's like micro, micro, micro dosing something, right? Like, like maybe homeopathy is like the, the ultimate, you know, end of the spectrum of microdosing because there's not actually anything in it. There's an imprint of something that was in it. Um, but many people have profound life changes from, you know, microdosing psilocybin or something like that, right? And they're not going on a journey. They're not getting their ass handed to them and crying about all their trauma, <laughs> right? It's just like something's happening that is kind of inexplicable. It's something that's subtle. It's something that happens over time. And it doesn't require, as you're describing, any convincing or taking on of any kind of belief system. It's like, just take a little bit of this thing every couple of days. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, really subtle, yet the, the impact can be profound. You hit it. That's it. That's it yeah. right there. Which is, which is hard for me because I'm more like, hit me in the head with a sledgehammer, like, let's get her done, you know? You think you are. But then when you, I mean, look at the words you use to describe where you're at right now. This like subtle, sensitive, delicate, attuned, aware. Right. You know, that's, that's who you are also. Okay. I think I'm leaning into that more. And a lot of that has to do with this lady downstairs. That's how she rolls, you know, and we're influenced by the people around us, both positively and negatively, but learning about her relationship to nature and shamanism as she practices it and just that she doesn't, she doesn't do all of the things that I do that are um, oftentimes outside of myself to impact the way I feel. Right, all of this biohacking stuff, you know, all this stuff. She just kind of looks at me and just kind of chuckles, and she's just in the backyard talking to the birds, right? And has the similar um, end result, right? Without really having to do a lot, it's just it's a it's a receiving and, and a much more um, attuned sensitivity. So I think I'm becoming more that way. Have you noticed um, along those lines within yourself or just? people that you, you know, have um, brought into your methodology here and your practices, um, that as people become more tapped into the subtleties of their beingness, that they become more kind of reclusive and solitary and, and less um, outgoing, social, extroverted, and so on. That's a really interesting question. I didn't think you were going to go there. I thought you were going to go somewhere else. Like people become more sensitive and more deeply trusting themselves, which is true. Uh, just on that note, yeah, something that really shocked me. I've been working with this stuff for like 20-some years. But in the last three years, anyone in our community who was working with these remedies regularly like was totally unfazed. Like completely unfazed by the last three years. Like, oh, interesting. Like they would say things like, "Oh yeah, it kind of feels like a theater, or it feels like like a show, or like something I'm watching." Like they weren't like super. <laughs> They're not actors in the play. <laughs> They're in the audience. And it it might have been something else that was tearing them apart or like bringing them to their knees, but it wasn't that. Like they had this deep, like like rich self trust that really surprised me. 
I wasn't, you know, the whole thing surprised me. And then the actual question that you asked, I think so, yes. I think it becomes narrower and narrower and narrower, even if I just observe my own self and my community, right? I mean, maybe you just think about when you're young and you can handle parties and loud music and people and drinking and drugs and, like, you know, weird energies, right? Uh, and then as you get older or more refined in your practice, I think that is a natural thing to isolate more because if you are more attuned and sensitive to your environment, you're going to feel, oh, there's a funny energy here. I don't feel right with that. I can't really put a finger on what that is, but I don't feel right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's been my experience as someone who used to like a lot of, I was just very social, extroverted, doing a lot of speaking and events and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really been um, an adjustment to acclimate to changes that I didn't ask for, you know? It's like I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to become more of an introvert that just wants to stay home and be super, super discerning and picky about the people with whom I associate and so on and locations that I venture to and whatnot. And um, like, I've become much more reclusive and um, very sensitive to crowds and energies and things like that. Um, and I've just equated it to just getting older and there might be something to that too. But yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. You know, it just kind of came and then would find myself kind of out in a public place and feel like, oh, just super cagey and like social anxiety and just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Could be a great event, great people, and it's just like too much. Just too much. I would call that wisdom <laughs> and awareness. It's also, it's, it requires an adjustment though, too, because, and uh, let's, I'm going to go with that wisdom. Yes. Uh, the other day, very generously, um, some friends of ours invited us to go see the comedian Dave Chappelle. And um, I don't know anything about the comedy industry. So I was imagining in my mind, he was probably performing at um, Joe Rogan's uh, comedy club, The Mothership. A bunch of my friends always go there. I haven't, I haven't made it out. So I'm like gearing up to be in a comedy club. I don't understand that like this dude is super famous. <laughs> and then it's at like an arena, right? So we go to meet for dinner beforehand. And like, oh, well, I'm thinking we're just going to walk down the street and like just casually walk into a comedy club, you know? And no, it's like like going to a concert. It's a whole parking thing, and people are drunk and smoking weed. And and I'm I'm not particularly a fan of um, hip hop music. It just is not my jam. Um, really loud hip hop rap and just the whole thing, man. And there's a lot of booze in the place, and it's just an energy I'm not used to being around. And um, it took everything I could. To sit there and just stay calm. I felt so uncomfortable. Up until the moment he got up on stage, which is like four hours into the night or whatever, you know. It's like an opening band and opening comics. And just like afterward, I was like, you know, I was very grateful that our friends brought us and paid for the tickets. I mean, it was really a, a really beautiful gesture. And I really enjoyed his comedy. He was fucking hilarious. He's a master of his craft, without a doubt. But when we left, walking back to the car to my $75 parking ticket, um, I told Allison, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't think I can do this anymore. Like, I can't, I can't go out in public. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, it's weird, you know, because I used to be all about that life. 
And it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's your freaking flower essences, Katie, <laughs> making me too, too etheric, etherically sensitive. Well, but it's important because you value the, the impermanence of life. Life is short. You have a certain yeah. amount of energy and time, right? And you want to do big things with that energy and time, or at least be like preciously aware of it. And if unseen forces, things you can't see, you know, that are attracted to the smell of certain things, like alcohol and weed or, um, you know, vibrations or those are all things that you can't necessarily see. So you can try to talk yourself out of it. But the nervous system sees if you feel like crap afterwards or you get in a fight with somebody or like or an argument or you feel crunchy or cranky or weird or like you need to jump in your pool or take a shower afterwards, then something is there. Right. And it's kind of like because, you know, you only have a certain amount of energy it's like, I, I want to guard that and use it, and I don't want anyone to steal it or, or it to be affected by these forces that I can't see. Yeah. I think that's perfectly natural. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it is. <laughs> it's just different because you're not used to it. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, you know, like I said, it's taken, I don't know, three years or so. I mean, some of it might be related to the world events of three years, probably not, but it, it takes a bit of adjusting because you plan things differently, right? It's like, you used to have kind of a modus operandi of how you how you roll and then everyone else that you know is kind of still rolling in that way and expecting you to roll like you always rolled and now you don't. Now you're at a standstill. <laughs> you're not rolling at all, you know, or a different kind of rolling um, to a different place. So it just, it takes a little getting used to to adjust to that new type of... Um, acclimation to it makes the world. me think of you know yesterday i flew into austin and you know you have that moment where you're like getting the rental car and you're figuring out how to go and you're starving and you're looking for the food but you got to get here first and then you drop your stuff off and by the time you get there you're like oh shoot it's 8 20 all the restaurants close at eight ah and then you're like starving <laughs> totally. right it's just like every trip and then it's yeah. like and then you get, and then you just like gotta get the food. So you're in the survival mode. You get the food. You come back, and I forget, I, I, I forget that. Oh, what I need to do is, you know, after I eat, I mean, first thing I should do is just like eat when I land, and then shower because I've just been around like tons of people and tons of EMFs, right, in the air. Shower, and then. Uh, we have this uh, smoke offering practice where it's like uh, burning sacred herbs or incense. Um, you know, anyone can do it, really. Uh, ours is like 30 minutes long and involves some chanting, but you could just burn some herbs as an offering and you touch the ground. I'm here. I, I'm acknowledging you. I've arrived here. Thank you for hosting me. You know, and then this morning I woke up and I did my practices and I was like, oh, why do I forget that I need to just eat shower and do the practice immediately and not go to bed you know because last night i slept like you know that feeling when you feel like you're awake the whole night but you're actually asleep you're just like tossing turning and you're like half in between and but not in the good in between like you're talking about yeah, yeah. like funky like yeah. tossing in between so i i can relate to what you're saying it makes such a huge difference when you allow yourself to just acknowledge, oh, right, I'm functioning in this world. I'm operating in this way. And when I do it this way, everything goes so smooth. And when I don't, it doesn't go smoothly. Okay, note to self. Eat, shower, cleanse, 
make an offering, arrive at the place. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, you're speaking my language with travel. That's definitely my kryptonite. One hundred. I mean, yeah, it's a whole thing. Won't get into it. Um, do you, and this might be a bit of a stretch, but you mentioned EMFs, and I'm like an EMF uh, mitigation fanatic from way back. Probably because I'm just. I seem to be more sensitive to it than most people, um, unfortunately. But the upside is I get to educate some people about it and maybe catch some people that are sensitive like me and help them. Um, do you see any application of your flower essences? Um, again, I know this might be a bit of a stretch. You know, if we can't, we can't trust the science on it. But seeing as we're becoming more resilient integrating these flowers into our lives. Do you see any potential for having any assistance with something like EMF sensitivity? Are you kidding me? Oh, it's a thing? Like, how could it not? All right. I mean, go on. Well, like, go out into the wild, right? Go out and be in nature. See what happens. I mean, even just spend a couple hours out there. It's not just the oxygen, right? It's all the life force. So when what you're doing is you're essentially, even though you're not in nature, you're bringing it in. You're bringing it into your medicine cabinet. You're bringing it into your morning routine. You're bringing it into this moment. You're bringing it into your food, your coffee, your water, your tea. You're, you, it's like you're replicating being out in the wild, but pulling it into this crazy life. So absolutely. And I can tell you from my personal experience that over the last 20-some years, my personal use has changed dramatically. And I would be willing to bet that it has a lot to do with EMFs. Because, right, I, I mean, I started this in the U.S. in 2001. So we didn't have cell phones, right? There were very few cell towers. I mean, I didn't have one. We had, we had cell phones, but they would always drop out because there weren't enough towers which I wish we could go back <laughs> to that time. Like, I don't care if there's a dead zone. Like, you know, we're so inundated. Like, in a city like Austin, there's 5G all over downtown. Phoenix, same thing. Last time we were there, I was like, damn, these guys went off with the, those, those small cell towers that are, like, in the middle of the city, which are the worst ones, incidentally. Yeah, I, I miss the days when, 2001, when there were very few cell towers around. I noticed in those days... Uh, I used to take the internal remedies in my mouth a few times a day. One remedy. That was it. That was it. Mm, now I see, my, I observe myself. I observe members of my community. I mean, it's, it's easier. I think maybe I'm biased because I have a lot on hand. So if you just have it there, you'll use it. But I'm using it at least every hour. It's in every cup of coffee. It's in every glass of water. I'm spraying myself, putting on the oils. Like it's multiple, 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 multiple times a day. You know, it's in my kitchen everywhere. It's in my bathroom. It's on my desk. It's like everywhere because I want access to it. And there has to be a correlation. I mean, if we're talking about subtle energies, you know, those days we didn't have cell phones. Now we have smartphones. How much time are we spending with that thing in our hands? And, you know, I love it. It's, it affords me, you know, I can, I can GPS my way to your house and it's really easy. But it affects us. And absolutely 500 million percent flower remedies fortify your own body's energy so you are not as swayed or, mm, you know, negatively impacted by that. It's like a, 
super infusion of Mother Nature in it. Totally makes sense, yeah. I mean, a lot of the things that are most effective for EMF are in the realm of quantum energy, right? Which sounds crazy to some people too, but like you were talking about earlier, when you use your cell phone, like you can't see so your FaceTime with someone. It's not like your face flies through the air and hits their phone, right? <laughs> we can't see any of this stuff. Now, that, that said, there, there is a lot of snake oil in the quantum realm, all these weird little stickers for your phone. I don't, I don't trust most of that stuff. But how a lot of them, the EMF mitigation tools work, is by fortifying your nervous system and fortifying the resilience of your biology, not by blocking them, right? Like blocking is the physics approach. And then you have the quantum physics approach, which is more what you're describing, right? Where it's like your energy body becomes fortified against energies that are um, deleterious to your health, the draining energies of, you know, non-ionizing radiation everywhere. That's the way to go because are we going to go create some copper hut in the middle of nowhere and live there for the rest of our I lives? Might. <laughs> might. We might. We might. We might. Every okay, bedroom in this house is a copper <laughs> hut, actually. Yeah, But most people, it's not practical, yeah. You still want to live in the world, right? Totally. I mean, I, my whole mission is to get these to as many people as possible. I must live in the world. Uh, but you can fortify yourself. You can make yourself superhuman. Uh, I was talking about people smoking weed at the Dave Chappelle show. And, you know, cannabis makes flowers. You don't strike me as someone who's like a weed smoker. I'm not either. God bless those that are. But have you ever um, made essences out of, like, cannabis flowers? I haven't yet. Huh. It would be very interesting. Right? Yeah, it would be very interesting. I mean, it's a powerful plant. It's got so many. It's like a Swiss army knife plant. Well, I'm voting that you, I'm voting that you make one because I don't I don't use it like in a recreational sense, mm-hmm. but I still love the smell of it because I was a huge stoner. <laughs> so if there was like essential oil of indica or whatever purple haze, I would be spraying that shit all the time. I love the smell of weed. Yeah, a lot of people have asked me. You know, I probably should make a flower essence of it because so many people are curious about it. I th- I, th- I do think it's interesting that we we will like gravitate towards one thing. Or, you know, like we, when we talk about like plant medicine, we'll, we'll talk about like five different things. And we'll like fixate on those plants when there's, you know, 40,000 flowering species of plants on the planet. That's where my mind is like, whoa, you know, we're over here fixated on these things over here when there's like all this kind of awakening with 40,000 different species over here. Like we don't even know what's out there and what it can do for us. Right. Yeah. I think about that, too, with the, just the terminology around plant medicine. I mean, I think most people today obviously assume that that's some sort of psychedelic experience. But if you look at pharmaceuticals, most of them are mimicry of plants. Aspirin, white willow bark, right? I mean, on and on. I mean, most medicines, um, you know, opiates, obviously, from the poppy, it's like the pharmaceutical industry is essentially just copied and isolated and amplified medicines that have, have existed forever. They will single out one chemical constituent out of hundreds in a plant, right? So it's like, it's like taking Luke's story and just taking like one part out of the 300 parts of you. It's kind of odd, right? Like it's not the whole picture. Like if, if, if one per, you know, somebody talked about you and your uh, you have this knack of doing X, right? 
It's like, yeah, but you do that one day out of the year. It's not like the whole you, you know? Yeah. So similarly, it's like we, we put the, we, we attach a heavy metal or a chemical to that one constituent so it can like drive something. There will be an effect. But what are those other 299, you know, constituents? What role do they play in this whole big picture of healing? Uh, and, you know, Mother Nature and, and all its perfection is like so complex. I mean, that's one of the things that I like super geek out is when you look at one, whether it's an herb, an essential oil, a flower remedy, whatever, you look at one plant, one flower, it can do so many different things, not just one thing. So it's in some ways like we're limiting our view by doing that. And then also, of course, you know, creating this whole cascade of side effects that are, you know, unfortunate. As When I moved back to the United States, I realized just how many of us are on medication, you know, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, ADHD. You know, at the time I was doing research looking at all the children in the entire planet who are on ADHD medications is around 10, 10 million. Seven million of those were in the United States. Oh my God. So it's, oh man. It, it's like we. It's crazy. We turn that direction. And, and I'm not saying there isn't a place for allopathic medicine. It's wonderful for, um, you know, if you have accidents or you're in a trauma or crisis, it is, it's where you want to be. But. When there's something natural that doesn't have side effects, you know, when you were talking about um, microdosing, you know, like microdosing beauty and joy and peace, like you can take them when you're pregnant. You know, a pregnant woman can take as many flower remedies as she wants. Essential oil, she has to be a little careful. Herbs has to be careful. Flower remedies, she can go nuts. Elderly, babies, toddlers, people in, you know, immunocompromised situations, people who are sick, hospice, dying, birthing, like, go nuts. Like, you can incorporate as many flower remedies as you want. So it's like, it just seems to be that in, in the reductive world, it's like limited seeing and sometimes a lot of side effects we don't want. And then in the Mother Nature world, it's like expansive, abundance, exponential, like this whole kind of mystery of life approach and what's possible. Uh, my my wish is just to have more people be able to integrate and see the see the two and and what's possible in the kind of mysterious realm as well as the deductive realm does that make sense 100% yeah i think that um those of us that live in the united states <laughs> i think because we're so close to it that it's all become normalized you know the just the prevalence of pharmaceuticals um <clears throat> i don't watch a lot of tv and when i do it's usually not tv with commercials but allison watches some she loves her love reality shows and i don't know what network they're on or whatever but i haven't seen tv commercials in a very long time because you know i just paid the 10 bucks a month and i haven't but anyway i'll just come say hi to her and she'll be watching one of her stories as i call them kind of they like soap operas to me it's it's cute and she enjoys them but she has commercials, and the other day, one, and they're all pharmaceutical commercials, almost, almost all of them. And the other day, there was one that was a drug that you take 
to mitigate the side effects of being on antidepressants. <laughs> I was just like, what if you just made the medicine without side effects and then you wouldn't need to take the second medicine? But thinking about that, I mean, I'm so far removed from that world, but many people have gotten sort of institutionalized into thinking that being on a bunch of medications is normal. And I think the prevalence of that phenomenon where someone, oh, I need to get on high blood pressure medication, then it starts wrecking another part of your body. And so you have to take another one, another one, another one, ad infinitum. It's an incredible business model. <laughs> you know, if you're, if, you, if you're uh, someone who lacks love and em- empathy as a, uh, you know, shareholder, but it's freaking nuts, the destruction that's being caused by, and mostly lifestyle diseases. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's the it's what we're breathing, what we're eating. It's the fluoride in the water. It's the EMS. It's it's like literally things, diseases that are caused by things that you could change if you knew better and you had the discipline and the resources to do so. You know, it's also how you see things, right? Either there's something wrong with you that you need to fix, or there's an opportunity. Maybe it's a dark night of the soul, as they call it, or maybe it's an opportunity to see something you weren't seeing before. Maybe this is like the moment where your whole life changes. Maybe this is the moment where you like wake up and see something completely new through going through a difficult experience in life versus something's wrong with me, I need to fix it and shut it down. You know, I'm feeling uncomfortable, I need to shut it down and take a pill. What if we... You know, what if our culture chose to view that as like, this is a rite of passage? I love how, you know, um, I think you've interviewed her, Kelly Brogan. She talks about it as like, this is a rite of passage. And I love that way of just describing it. Like this, this moment where we're freaking out is normal, is natural. And when we get on the other side of it, it's like a... So it's like, a, it's like an awakening. It's like seeing life in a different way. We're not the same, right? It's like when we have a baby, we're not the same on the other side. Or when someone we love dies, we're not the same on the other side. What makes us think that if that's how coming into this world and leaving this world is, that our whole life isn't full of those things, right? Like we can be born and die so many times in this life. (laughs) There's a great quote that I... Uh, heard somewhere, and I'd really like to find the origins of it. I think it's from Greek philosophy or something. If anyone listening knows where this came from, please inform me, educate me, so I can attribute it to the appropriate party. But uh, it goes like this. If you die before you die, when you die, you don't die. That's all you need to know, really, to your point, right? It's just surrender. And also, you know, when when we're faced with these challenges, like they could be an opportunity for transformation. But also, I think we've been trained in the West to think when the body's ill that there's something wrong with it. When I think a lot of the time, what's happening? Not all of the time. A lot of the time, what's happening is the body's actually healing itself, and what we perceive to be being sick, like having a cold or a flu or something like that. Um, that we have to suppress the symptoms and we have to fix it and heal it when the body's actually going, dude, get out of the way. I'm detoxing, I'm healing, and you're just feeling the side effects of the healing uh, process, right? Like everything is, 
is so backwards, I think, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed this woman uh, uh, on my podcast about biological medicine, and, sh- and her view was that when you get ill, yeah, that's actually when your body is starting to heal it. It's not actually when something's going wrong. It's when the healing process is already right. starting to occur. In the world of energy medicine, we would say, like if you had a projector on a screen, projecting an image on a screen, that the your body is the screen, right? And the projector is all this energetic, emotional, mental stuff. And when something takes place physically, it's just a red flag to go back and trace it back and say, okay, what's the root cause? Sure, there might be lifestyle and you know food and chemical issues also, but what's the root emotional, mental cause for this? So that it, if I handle it in the physical realm, that it doesn't ever come back. 100%. Then we have agency. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I know this to be true because I've seen many people, especially in the past 20 years that I've been deeply steeped into all type of healing, but I've seen people who have, say, a chronic condition. And if they have the resources and the drive uh, to apply every known solution out there, like doing all the things, and they can't heal. And then... They arrive kind of at the end of the road with everything, you know, all the ozone, the PMF, the saunas, you know, all the things, right? Fasting, going to clinics, and never addressing the underlying emotional issues and the trauma. But eventually get to that, and that heals them. And I've also witnessed people who have a chronic condition or a life-threatening condition even that don't even go do all the physical stuff. They just happen to stumble across doing the, the inner healing and they heal the physical thing. This happens all the time at Joe Dispenza retreats. I don't know what those people are eating or how healthy they are, but they tap into the quantum realm and you know work things out in their psycho-spiritual body. And then the physical manifestation of their disease goes away like magic. It's inexplicable. It's just crazy. And it points to the fact that we just we understand so little about reality. You know, I have conversations with brilliant people like you, and we're we're teasing some stuff out of the fabric of of that reality. But at the end of the day, there's so much that we don't understand. It's what makes life interesting to me, and so much support. Like that's what I would really want people to walk away with is that you're not alone. That there's so much support. I mean, even just if you look, you know, turn to Mother Nature itself. There's so much support there, right? Like, uh, tell me any neurosis you have. Tell me any neurotic habit you have. Tell me any crazy, deep, dark secret you have. There's a flower for it. No problem. Like, it's so workable, so easy. We just like to, you know, punish ourselves and be really hard on ourselves and repress it and... If we can like soften a little more and be open to it and open to exploring, there's so much support and, and we can awaken ourselves. We don't necessarily need someone in a white coat to tell us what's wrong with us. We can figure out actually and illuminate what's right about ourselves and that's a whole lot more fun. Boom. I love it. I think that's a good bow to wrap on the gift of your presence today. <laughs> If folks go to lotusway.com slash Luke's story and they're like, oh, this is interesting. I've never heard of this. I want to try it. What, what would you recommend as like a first 
product for someone because you've got the the topicals right and then you have the sprays and you have the elixirs like what's one that's like a overarching beneficial that someone might notice and and which of those forms would you recommend let's say someone like doesn't have a lot of disposable cash flow laying around and they're like this sounds cool i just want to try the one thing and see how it feels i would try the one thing that you will use most often if you like to take things internally try the elixir if you like the yummy smells do that it's whatever is going to be you know the easiest for you to be reckless with and like use it use it up don't don't store it somewhere like use the whole thing up within three to four weeks because then you really will feel a difference within three to five days Mm, we have a quiz. We have uh, we have like a whole page of quizzes. You know, like oh, cool. really basic quiz, a really complicated one, a really fun one, like all kinds of different quizzes. So if you're that kind of person, then you can just see like what do you need today, and see what the recommendation is. Infinite love, I would say, is a really good place to start because we're all too hard on ourselves. We could all use a little more love and softness and gentleness, and. It, like if you use that with like really regularly after about a week you see a difference like you notice people being drawn to you giving you compliments your loved ones being a lot more affectionate um or something like joy juice that makes you laugh like in five minutes you feel it you feel really it. yeah i wonder if we have that one here we probably <laughs> allison can you hear me no she's somewhere she's probably out in the yard talking to the birds all right, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for making the time to come in. It's lovely to see you. And um, I will say I'm kind of bummed we didn't know you, or at least maybe if Allison did, she didn't realize you were in Phoenix. Because when we moved here a couple of years ago, they had this big shit show of a storm here, and all the roads were icy, and everyone was freaking out. Um, so we stayed in Phoenix for a week. <laughs> yeah, just we're like... We kept checking the weather, like, nope, not going to Texas yet. Yeah, and we stayed there, and we were really, I mean, it's a nice break, but we were super bored. We were just at some hotel that I selected based on its uh, proximity to cell towers, and um, it was, like, kind of out of town a little bit. And we just, like, sat at the pool every day and thought, man, I wish we knew someone in Phoenix. <laughs> you know, there you were. Anytime you come to Phoenix, come visit us. And we, we have a, a little condo, too, that you guys can stay in. What? That's oh, cool. Available, and it's like a stone's throw from the Sun Center. So. Amazing. That's so cool. I look forward to getting out there and getting another one of those treatments and meeting some more of your people and seeing the ones that I met before again and, and driving up to Sedona and playing around. Yeah, that's the cool thing about Phoenix is, like, you can go to Sedona, but you don't have to live there. Right. Some people like to live there. We tried it. We didn't. We couldn't hang. I think, yeah, it's just it's kind of like more like a national, should be a national park. Right. I mean, as far as I know, the indigenous people would kind of go there, have their ceremonies, and then leave. So I think uh, only a certain really strong constitutional person can live there. Yeah, we weren't strong enough. <laughs> it kicked our ass out and I used to go there when I lived in LA I'd drive out there for a couple of years and stay for a week and it was amazing it's only like a six hour drive from LA or something um, so it's very accessible and I always thought man when I leave the city finally I'm going to move to Sedona and I try to get her on board and we stayed there for two months and I brought all our stuff like I set up my computer and like pretended like we lived there and looked at houses we had an agent there and everything First month, she just, she was a good sport, but she hated it. And she's like, because she knew I was really invested in the idea and that I 
thought that I loved it. She was like, I'm gonna hang in there and see if something changes and maybe I'll grow to love it, you know? And then in the second month, I, I hated it. Not Sedona, just hated the way I felt there, you know, for a long period of time. So yeah, I think it really is a beautiful and very sacred and special place. But I think you're right, that only a certain type of person can be there full time and thrive. You know, many people seem to be able to do that, but I wasn't one of them. Yeah, we, we, we often will take like team retreats for a day or a couple days, go there, generate a bunch of ideas, brainstorm, and then come home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, next time we pass through, we'll come say hi to you and old Sedona. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me.